Welcome to A World on Fire, an All-Star Squadron podcast. I'm your host, Billy D, and alongside me is my co-host, Herman Lowe. How are you, buddy? Hey, Billy. I'm great. Thanks, man. Um, I mean, you're not as great as you are because you're coming off of a, a bit of a holiday. <laughs> mm. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, I feel good. You know, I had a, a tough month of July working a lot, but now things are slowing down. So happy to talk comics with you once again. But tell us a little bit about the holiday and stuff and that, what's been going on in your life. Yeah, I tried to throw up a few pictures on Twitter there every once in a while. But uh, yeah, my family and I went to Savannah, Georgia and very beautiful city. Uh, crazy, crazy hot, though. I was, I was thinking I was going to melt out there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, that was the, the way you started most of the, the DMs and the tweets I saw. But uh, you had a bad, I don't know if you want to talk about this, but uh, I remember you mentioned something about the the very first hotel you happened upon wasn't exactly the way you expected it to be, but that's the only hiccup in an otherwise great holiday. Yeah, other than that, it was great. No complaints here. Long time in the car, though, too. That was rough. Like on the day we came back because we drove, it was, I think with all the, you know, stops for the bathroom and food and all that jazz i think we were in the car about 14 hours uh coming back so that was rough <laughs> wow yeah and your kids are now what early 20s right or yeah so... yeah, yeah yeah they're not like the crazy going wild kind of in the car but oh man just driving and being cramped up like that for so long Ooh, yeah man. you know that that makes me regret not doing any you know family trips with my parents after i hit 18 <laughs> You know, like when I was 18 or, or 19 and went off to to university, I never had, you know, a family trip again. I mean, not never, but, you know, not not at that age. I think the, the first time I took a family trip again was when, when I was like in my 30s or something, you know. So mm. it's, it's sad. I would have liked to have, you know, uh, done that with them at that age. But I don't think I was, I was interested, <laughs> you know. So... <laughs> So it's you're you're lucky to have those kids, you know, uh, still mm-hmm. uh, wanting to be with old mom and dad. But um, you know, Billy, uh, to get to 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 talk about comics again, like today we've got um, some some great issues too. But I don't know if they're quite up to par to the issues we discussed the last time. Them being my favorites, but um, <laughs> this one's not. These two aren't bad at all. They're uh, very enjoyable. Lots of fun. Mm. Lots of action. You feel kind of. I, I want to ask you if you have the similar experience reading these two issues you feel like there's like six or seven issues packed into these two you know uh, issues that's how how much story roy manages to compress and also how many mm-hmm. flashbacks of old golden age um you know uh, stories that he he puts in there which is impressive and i felt mm-hmm. like you know if i had to pay like five bucks for one of these issues i would feel like i was getting like three issues in one you know, compared to modern day yeah. comics lately, so it's, oh, it's yeah. a pretty pretty good experience rereading mm-hmm. this old. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Now, do you have any his- uh, history with these particular two issues, um, which is specifically for the readers, um, issues twenty one and twenty two? That's what we're going to be doing today. We're following off of that epic brainwave storyline. Have you? Do you have any personal yeah. history with these two? Yeah, no, these were very late additions for me um, in my All-Star Squadron search to, you know, try to get them all. I still have, I think I have six issues left that I still need to get to be totally 100% complete. 
Um, but these were definitely later acquisitions. Like I may have only gotten these within the last like eh, probably year and a half. Oh, okay. So you know, I, yeah, these these were ones that are very late additions for me. Right, right, right. Okay, yeah, I understand that. Yeah, no, for me, these ones were uh, some of my early issues. I remember these distinctly because I, I sort of hit the sweet spot in my comic collecting career where everything beca suddenly became available. At least everything that I was interested in. You know, so we're mm -hmm. talking like '80s series like Firestorm or, you know, um, the Justice League, and uh, just the pre-Detroit era, and then of course All-Star Squadron and stuff like, uh, you know, Blue Devil. Everything seemed available on the spinner racks, and that was unusual at the time for me. You know, Billy, because it mm -hmm. was more like a, you know, you go in uh, weekly or sometimes even daily to the uh, corner store because there weren't any comic shops around then, right? In the early '80s. For, for us at least in South Africa and then yeah. you kind of have to just take what's what's on the rack you know on the spinner rack and then um, what I mean by sweet spot is I got I think uh, around about issue 18 the fairy tales Fenton issue of the all-star squadron uh, there was uh, like consistently they had each issue in the spinner rack you know um, up till at least 32 and then suddenly I 33 mm. was unavailable so i'm like scrambling to to find it going to different corner stores <laughs> and asking friends about it and uh so eventually i i didn't manage to obviously get that you know elusive issue 33 but my point is i had like from 18 on you know uh, let's say like a year's worth of comics like at least more than a year's worth of comics uh, that was unbroken for me storyline wise so that was that was pretty yeah. nice so i remember right after reading um, that epic issue 20 I happened upon 21 and 22 and then kept reading um, so this this was part of that that time when in my childhood when I was when I felt incredibly fortunate you know to get these issues <laughs> concurrently uh, because back yeah. then man I had to really it was like sticking your hand into a, a pile of sawdust and coming out with a with a with a pretzel or a an <laughs> M&M or something. It was tough. But mm -hmm. uh, yeah, the All-Star Squadron, you know, I, I could collect them fairly consistently. But um, we've got, again, Roy using his vast knowledge of the Golden Age and his love for, for things in the Golden Age um, to, you know, pepper these stories with a little bit of interesting, you know, characters and also details and even, you know, flashbacks. So these two mm -hmm. are enjoyable. What did you think about them overall? You know, coming off of that great brainwave <laughs> arc. Yeah, I think these are a lot of fun. I think, um, you know, you were kind of saying about feeling that there's a lot of story and a lot of, you know, just, you know, dialogue and stuff packed into these two. I, I kind of feel like maybe, especially in 22, it, it got a little, I don't know if overboard's the correct word, but. I kind of felt at one point like, wow, there's a lot going on here. And not that it was like I couldn't follow it, but it just felt like it would have been better, I think, if it would have been stretched over, you know, another issue. Mm -hmm. Yeah, a good point. Because, yeah, he packs a lot of story in here and he introduces a yeah. lot of new characters and, of course, old characters. Uh, but at least two new villains. And then, mm -hmm. you know, of course, one villain is in step, the main bad guy is an established Superman villain from the Golden Age. But, yeah, you're right. Um, it does feel at some point in time as if he's stretching the limits of 
you know, the pages at least or of, of yeah. story. Like how much story could you actually pack in here? And also there's lots of exposition. You know, Roy doesn't slow down on that and on his, um, his wordiness and his uh, desire mm-hmm. to get the characters to have these lengthy dialogues. I mean, we just came off of a villain, the brainwave, who loves to talk about himself. You know, he might not always want to talk to <laughs> others. He just He's content to just, you know, reminisce on his own, but, you know, talking to us, the readers. But here, you know, the ultra-humanite, <laughs> which is, sorry, I, sh- I, I jumped the gun here. That's the <laughs> villain we're going to be talking about. He or she just, you know, immediately says okay now that i've got you here on the floor let me tell you my origin story <laughs> you know or and she does that yeah. twice you know because uh, there's two huh? parts of the origins of the origin in 21 and then in uh-huh. 22 so no reason just okay i've got you here on the floor at my mercy so you're gonna be forced to listen to my tale <laughs> and then you know one of my favorite tropes too is um i i could kill you but i'm not going to kill you for no apparent reason oh man that happens like <laughs> what thinking. three or four times right billy <laughs> yeah i'm thinking you have your enemy you're evil and you have your enemy you know you're the good guys right where you want them and you could kill them which means you won't have to deal with them anymore and you cannot be stopped and you're like nah i don't think i'll do that right now <laughs> and exactly. then what happens oh, yeah they, well eventually that'll yeah turn back on her predictably <laughs> yeah but, but, you know, yeah, you know, the funny thing about that trope, right, Billy, is I noticed it first in uh, James Bond movies rather than comics. Mm. You know, because yeah. comics, I of course, it happens a lot, especially Batman comics. But, yeah. um, you know, it also happens a lot in Superman's comics. You know, there's always Superman's always at the mercy of someone, you know, when, when they've got kryptonite available, but then they don't administer the coup de grace. Um or they want to make him suffer in another way, which is, you know, like, you know, it's it's better mm-hmm. to keep him alive, which, which is just fine. But I didn't actually notice that as much when I was growing up in comics because there were maybe one or two issues like that. And then there were 10 or 20 issues which did not have that, you know. Mm-hmm. And then, um, you know, in James Bond, though, it happens every it happens multiple times every single movie, right? So, <laughs> yeah. you know, I noticed that in James Bond. And then, you know, of course, comics has that too. You know, your favorite characters can't be killed off. You know, so they sometimes need to be at the mercy of a villain. But, <laughs> you know, to up the stakes and to, to invest you a little bit more. But you know it's not going to happen. You know, so yeah, yeah here the, it's two on the nose. You're right. <laughs> Yeah, it's a little. And in Roy's defense, it is not easy to uh, show your favorite character hero uh, in peril, in dire peril, you know, uh, again and again and again and again, you know, to have them keep coming back in something like, you know, an ongoing comic. It's not easy to do that, to show something as a threat. Yeah, that's right. You think, oh, they might die, you know, that's tough. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, later on, you know, we'll see Roy. You know, taking some liberties with the lives of some of the All-Star Squadron members. But right now, no. He's too much in love with all of these characters to actually, you know, sacrifice one of them for story's sake. But it will it will eventually yeah. happen. But even then, I, mm-hmm. I'd say that that was not a character that Roy cared much about. You know, <laughs> um, we'll get to that. But, uh, you know, here, I think Roy, you know, he's he was obviously a big Superman fan. You know, as well. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know, yeah. He, he loved yeah. the radio show probably more than the comics. I mean, um, but also the comics. And, you know, he's taking again, like he did, much like he did with the Wonder Woman comic, you know, when we discussed the, you know, her versus her enemy nuclear. 
he took old mm-hmm. Superman comics where he fought Luther and the, Luther wielded this uh, Luthor and he wielded this power stone. And now he's bringing this in. Now we saw hints of that, you know, Jerry Ordway drawing Superman in, in previous issues during the Brainwave story arc where Superman yeah. was fighting Luthor when they showed what was happening to the other JSAers. You know, the Flash mm-hmm. went on a, you know, a time jaunt and the Spectre was abducted or, or not abducted. He was beaten and then, you know, uh, kidnapped by Kulak, his old enemy. And then, and then of course, we talked <laughs> about Superman versus Luthor and this Power Stone, which seems to be able to confer Spectre-like abilities on the wielder, right? God-like power. Mm. Oh, yeah. So, you know, uh, Superman managed to beat Luther there. I never, I, I read those issues a long time ago, but like we, I told you off mic, Billy, I don't have my Superman uh, Omnibus Volume 1 from the Golden Age Superman stories anymore. Uh, but, you know, I, I have read those issues. And um, basically, uh, you know, Roy is showing his love of Superman here just on the very first page of the opening of the first issue. But we'll, we'll get to that, you know. First, we'll do the mm-hmm. synopsis and talk about the covers. But, you know, this oh, yeah. is heavily a Superman-centric storyline, but not, yep. you know, only Superman. Of course, there's lots of other things. But if you if you take it as Golden Age Superman versus one of his main bad guys, then it's definitely mm-hmm. a Superman tale, uh, which I love, which I'm fine with. I love oh, Gold, yeah. Golden Age Superman. It's just, you know, great. So... Mm-hmm. But first, Billy, let's let's just um, you know climb into our uh, you know established uh, seats here and and start it off properly with you know we'll do the synopses and then the covers. This time around, you're mm-hmm. gonna be doing the synopsis for the for the even numbers, right? For the odd numbers, sorry, I should say, because <laughs> I did the last <laughs> synopsis for both issues. So yeah, we got a little screwy. You figure between. We had the one episode where we did just annual one, and then we had that crazy huge crossover with the JLA, which yeah. was five issues long, and then the, uh, like you said, the brainwave story where there was two, and the crazy Thor <laughs> yeah. villain from Valhalla, which we'll be talking about that again today, uh, amazingly <laughs> enough. Uh, so yeah, we've been a little back and forth with a lot of stuff, but yeah, so it'll be me 21 and you on 22. Yeah, normally I prefer the odd numbers, but you know, I'll go even for a while here and uh, anyway it's also because we had to do a single issue you know uh, rather than a double issue because we wanted to fit the brainwave story you know into one mm-hmm. episode so that's why we yeah. only did you know that fairy tales fenton introduction of the tarantula issue 18 um that time around but you know we'll we'll get back to me being odd <laughs> which i prefer <laughs> that's that's my own personal mm-hmm. thing don't worry about that listener so any anyhow, Billy, you're gonna hit it off uh, with the synopsis mm-hmm. for issue. Oh, first I should get some specs on that and give the listeners some more info on that mm-hmm. particular issue. And this is, um, of course, um, the cover by Jerry Ordway featuring Cyclotron, a new enemy being mm-hmm. introduced. And this is mm-hmm. All Star Squadron number twenty-one, uh, cover dated May nineteen eighty-three, but on sale February twenty-fourth, nineteen eighty-three. And, of course, this was, uh, again, edit. oh, this time around, edited by Roy Thomas. Because, mm-hmm. really, as you might know, uh, Len Wynn used to be the editor, but um, there, there came a time in the 80s when I think it was uh, Dick Giordano, he was the managing editor, and he decided, no, he's going he's gonna to put some guys in D.C. who were well-established as editors and writers and give them mm-hmm. this editor-writer position, uh, which they would get you know, an increase in salary for. 
and um, you know that's that's like an interesting. So basically, Roy was editing himself. <laughs> you know, we've hinted at that, <laughs> and yeah. um, it, it's interesting that 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 would be the case. Where well, this is the first issue where that happens. So that's why editor is Roy Thomas on this one, and then of course script by Roy himself, and we've got um, uh, art by Jerry Orway. But this time around, because uh, Jerry was very busy, he did not ink. He got his friend Mike Macklin to ink, and uh, I like Mike Macklin's inks a lot. But you can definitely see there's a there's a difference between the previous two issues and and these mm -hmm. issues, right, Billy? Um, oh yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm not saying there's a drop in quality at all. It's just a different kind of ordway that we're getting here, meaning that sure. Mike Macklin's inks are a little bit on the heavy side, but sometimes they're not. So you know, I think he's he's very much feeling his way around Ordway's art at this point in time. So you see a lot of Ordway in some panels and then a little bit less in, in others. Right. But I'm not complaining. You know, it still looks pretty great. Uh, everybody looks iconic, you know, when, when Jerry mm. Ordway draws them. So you still see that. Yeah. Here. And then um, we've got letter, uh, letter by um, Carrie Spiegel or Carrie McCarthy and then colored mm -hmm. by Gene D'Angelo. Um, yeah, mm -hmm. that's about it. And the title, of course, of this uh, the story is A Tale of Three Citadels. Mm -hmm. um, interesting, you know, since I only yeah. espied one citadel <laughs> showing up. But <laughs> I guess you could you could include the, the perisphere as a citadel over there. <laughs> Maybe the White House. <laughs> Why not? Why not throw Hitler's, you know... Uh, uh, the the bunker in there too. Why not? <laughs> you could do anything you want, but yeah, it's a, it's a it's a pretty good issue introducing lots of interesting concepts. So, Billy, mm -hmm. um, let's get to your synopsis of issue twenty one. Okay, so the issue begins with the Man of Steel soaring through the sky, then landing on a rooftop to meet with the JSA and the All Star Squadron. They've just come out of their battle with Brainwave and look haggard. Superman then recounts his fight with Luthor and struggle for the Power Stone. Hawkman, Firebrand, the Atom, and Dr. Fate then leave to go back to the scene where they faced Fairy Tales Fenton to find the discarded Hammer of Thor. The rest of the team decides to ad <clears throat> adopt the Perisphere as the Ass HQ from now on. <laughs> then Superman, Green Lantern, and Liberty Bell Head over to Soupy's Love Shack to play Hide the Power Stone. <laughs> <laughs> As Firebrand and company uh, arrive at the demolished building, they get attacked by a villain calling himself Cyclotron. He and his horde of minions get the hammer and head out from the scene. Meanwhile, Superman is showing off his pad to GL and Bell when they're accosted by another new villain calling himself Deathbolt. He has a. He also has some of the same minions as Cyclotron had with him, but he also has another villain that Superman recognizes as well. You'll find out. <laughs> okay. Awesome. <laughs> what do yeah. you think of this one, buddy? <laughs> yeah, I've got to apologize to the listeners. I already, you know, mentioned the villain's name, <laughs> but you know, whatever. We're we're assuming everybody's already read this comic and then listening to the podcast. <laughs> no, I love this. Yeah. I love this issue. Like some of my childhood favorites as well. Not my ultimate favorites, like we mentioned when we ran through our list of greatest comics 
uh, greatest all-star issues but you know definitely uh fondly remembered comics and um i i always liked this villain you know um i first of course encountered this particular villain in another shape and form animal-like shape billy you might know what i'm talking about during the um justice league and jsa crossover featuring the secret society of supervillains where this particular mm-hmm. villain was the leader there uh but like mm-hmm. i say in the the, the sh- she was then or he was then in the form of a giant superpowered white bald gorilla <laughs> <laughs> so i've always loved this villain and of course who are we talking about here billy we let's let's just let it slip again (laughs) (laughs) the ultra humanite (laughs) yeah the ultra humanite you know i prefer this might be blasphemy to some people but i prefer the ultra humanite to golden age luthor you know i prefer him as a an earth 2 villain because earth 2's luthor is weird to me you know this guy with this shocking shock of red hair now i know originally this is the original luthor blah you know but um I prefer our bald Earth One Lex Luthor. Um, yeah, but you know the Ultra Humanite is a great, you know, Golden Age villain for Superman. It's it, uh, basically mm-hmm. preceded uh, Luthor and um, bald, you know, wheelchair bound scientist Charles Xavier. Anybody, <laughs> but you know, at first when first encountering Superman. And uh, um, this is someone who's, you know, again, much like Robot Man, capable of transferring brains between bodies. Mm-hmm. And um, <clears throat> we're going to see that uh, crop up quite a bit in these issues, right? That concept again, Billy. Uh, mm-hmm. And it always does when the Ultra Humanite is around. You know, they want to sh- yeah. trans- transfer the brain. Now, if anybody wants mm-hmm. some, to read some particularly great <clears throat> Ultra Humanite uh, stories, check out that JSA, JLA crossover which I think can be found in that Crisis on Infinite Earths trade paperback, Volume 5. Uh, mm-hmm. But you can also try Jimmy Palmiotti and uh, Amanda Connor's Power Girl series, you know, from about mm-hmm. 10 years or so back. The Ultra Humanite shows yeah. up in that. It's, it's great. <laughs> I, love, I love this villain. But, you know, here she's yeah. in the body, or he's in the body of a famous Hollywood actress called Dolores Winters. Mm-hmm. And we'll find out why, you know, as we go through the story. <laughs> but Billy, all, this this is just great, man. And you know, the the comic book opens. We'll discuss the covers again oh, later. But wh- how does it open? Talk about that. Yeah, there is this incredible splash page of Superman, you know, with power stone and he's flying through the sky and it's awesome because it has the old you know from the old television show and radio program and everything you know faster than a speeding bullet more powerful than a locomotive able to loot tall buildings in a single bound and those caption boxes and then uh, like some onlookers down below look up in the sky it's a bird it's a plane it's superman so i love that you know just like that's a huge nostalgia kick for me and then on the next page it says uh you know for years the writer editor has wanted to open a comic story with the foregone or uh, deathless lines. Now that it's part out of his system, he can show you what the man of tomorrow was looking at. So Roy basically coming out and saying, I've always wanted to do that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, nice. Yeah, that's great. That is great. That shows, you know, off his Superman fandom. And I think Mm -hmm. I read in an alter ego magazine or might've been a back issue magazine about Roy saying how much he loved listening to the the Superman radio serials and that he mm-hmm. even met 
the voice actor for some of those radio radio serials. He met him in a, an apartment complex or in an apartment building where they both lived. Oh, wow! At one point in the seventies, yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll remember That's that guy's really name cool. just now. Yeah. So you know, Roy, a big Superman guy, big you know, Golden Age, you know, uh, superhero fiend. Uh, that he is he's gonna definitely include all the greats from the golden age and superman it's now his turn now we've seen superman showing up before you know when the all-star squadron was formed in in Mm -hmm. and um in uh, issue four i think was the last time but you know superman's been shown in flashbacks and so forth and Mm -hmm. um you know here he's got his flying ability right billy Mm -hmm. Um, which is good because uh (laughs) i was i was afraid they're gonna show him leaping around but at this point in time in the radio serials, he was already flying, you know, so. Um, but the early Golden yeah. Age Superman just jumping around all over the place, like a Jack, super-powered mm-hmm. Jackrabbit. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I, I, I loved it. And, you know, I'm a big Fleischer Superman cartoon guy. You know, I love the Fleischer. Oh, yeah. Stuff. Those I, are great. I can rewatch them endlessly, I'm telling you. Every now and well, every couple of years, they put out some higher-quality ones, too. And, uh, you know, then he- I'm rewatching them again yeah and for anybody that hasn't seen those go to like youtube because some of those are public domain i don't Mm, know how mm. it happened but some of them fell into the public domain that you can find them on youtube or like you could go to like a a a cheap like dollar store and you can find a dvd i have it it has like Mm. i don't know eight eight or ten episodes the ones that are public domain and i got it for like five bucks and it is just amazing the animation that that studio uh, had back in like what the forties—it's yeah. incredible. It's absolutely incredible. Yeah, no, no, no. It's it's amazing, really. Like uh, the Fleischer brothers were geniuses. Mm. You know, they were like kind yeah. of like Walt Disney's. Now, now nowadays, mm-hmm. a lot of people, you know, they focus on other things about Disney. But one thing you have to remember, I believe, Disney was a legit kind of a genius. You know, with animation, mm-hmm. he pioneered so many mm-hmm. techniques. The first sound cartoon, well, not probably yeah. the very first, but Mickey Mouse, you know, was the first sound cartoon that made it big. Uh, mm-hmm. Steamboat Willie, and then, you know, the Fleischers mm-hmm. happened along. And, uh, you know, coming yeah. off of other successes, like, you know, their Betty Boop stuff. And and then, you mm-hmm. know, the Superman stuff was just a tour de force in, 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 in the world of uh, animation, you know, of cartooning and... Um, uh, it was amazing. And even as a kid, when I watched like, you know, early mornings before in South Africa, we got them, you know, early in the morning, you know, we got, we had like a, an hour of cartoons, you know, even in the weekdays, we were allowed to watch that while eating breakfast of old Bugs Bunny cartoons and, you know, the Warner cartoons. And then we got the <laughs> Superman animated stuff. And I was like holding on to finish my super Superman, you know, cartoon. And sometimes I would be late to school because of that, <laughs> you know, watching the old Flasher. <laughs> Superman, it's just great, and uh, you know you can see that in this panel. This is all the good things about Superman and Golden Age from the comic, and then of course from the Fleischer cartoons and from, a bit from the radio show as well. Mm-hmm. And, oh my gosh, yeah! And this makes sense because Superman, he says he got the alert, you know, when Brainwave started to to menace the squadron, but he was, you know, mm-hmm. obviously delayed by Luther and the Power Stone, and here he's got the Power Stone clenched in his fist. It's on this this. Mm-hmm chain that makes it look like you know a, <laughs> a bathroom plug chain really <laughs> doesn't really look like a, that chain does that stone justice but no um, yeah <laughs> still you know this it's a great image and then um oh okay oh, Billy, i just remembered okay oh. so 
you know, um, oh yeah, the, what I like that Jerry Ordway kept is obviously he had to do this, but you know, they they stayed true to the S on Superman's chest. They kept this this Golden mm. Age S. Yep. Which is pretty the fat, dumb. like chunky one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, the chunky S, which is great. I mean, I mm -hmm. do prefer the 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 Earth One S. You know, we got in the seventies and eighties and so forth. The, the Silver Age S, I think you should call it. But you know, yeah. this this S is you know identifies golden age superman for me as a as a totally separate character as a distinct personality and uh, on his own because he's yeah. he's very different actually from you know world war Two era superman is very different i mean uh, mm -hmm. from our superman that that we knew when we were kids so i i i like that i i like that they kept that because think about it billy if a character changes over time you kind of lose something as well i mean that happened with the golden age captain marvel shazam as they call him now I mean, he's now a kid. I mean, he was always a kid, Billy Batson, but he's now someone who's being played for laughs. But maybe that's unfair of me to say that, but that's how I see it. You know, every comic that he featured or, or the movie maybe also established that. He has to have this funny side where he's this um, this bumbling, sometimes, you know, a little bit uh, out of his depth kind of thing. They completely ignore the wisdom of Solomon power that yeah. he's supposed to have but in the golden age stories there was this obviously this famous sense of whimsy about whiz comics but there was also mm -hmm. you know these stories that that established him as a character that that now does not exist anymore that captain marvel that uh, identity that personality uh, that we had in the golden age it doesn't exist in the modern character right you know, so yeah he's just like i said more of a goofball exactly but now you know, with Superman, you know, well, well, not anymore. We don't have Golden Age Superman around anymore. But then when Roy was doing All-Star Squadron, they kept that, you know, kept that Superman mm -hmm. from the Golden Age. And he also showed up. It's not just Roy. So, you know, Crisis on Infinite Earths, Earths, Marv Wolfman showed that, that he's a completely distinct character with a distinct personality, still reflecting his Golden Age roots. And that's why they have two separate entries in the who's who. Um, well... No, wait a minute. Do they? Now I'm wondering. But that was to already after Crisis. Um, I'm not sure about that. Now I can't remember. Damn, I remember there were at least Batman had two separate entries. I should reread I th those. I think they do. I oh, feel they, like they I have. have yeah. I yeah. I feel like I I have uh, uh, something that tells about that. I don't know if it's one of Roy Thomas's books or what it is, but I think they do. Yeah. Anyway, listeners, please excuse us. We're going off a, on a tangent here, but I think it, it's, <laughs> it's worth it talking about Golden Age Superman for a while because he's featuring. Mm -hmm. He's featured prominently in these two issues. Oh, yeah, and then you turn that page, and then, oh, here we go at Ordway again, and that, you know, his buddy Mike Macklin. Oh, my gosh, this two-page spread of, you know, the JSA there, some of them, and then All-Star Squadron, and you yeah. can still see oh. Green Lantern there getting some uh, some medical attention from uh, Dr. Midnight there. Yeah. Mm. Now, oh, Billy, this is, this is where we're going. Okay, mm. a little nitpick on this page, very small nitpick. Uh, the It's a fantastic uh, double-page spread. The only thing I have a little bit of um, issue with is the way Superman's leg was drawn when he lands. Oh, uh, yeah. You yeah. know, that is very much like, you know, Joe Schuster used to draw Superman. Now, I, I'm i actually not a big fan of Joe Schuster's art, even though I'm a huge fan of Joe Schuster. <laughs> it's weird to say that, you know, because <laughs> right. I, I think the guy had a, a terrible life, actually, in later years, and he suffered greatly, you know, eye problems and then also poverty and... But, you know, um, I, I love Joe Schuster because he's just he seems like such a nice guy. 
You know, that's just the way. Mm-hmm. I mean, he might be a bit of a pushover, but, you know, Jerry Siegel was firmly in the driver's seat when it came to their partnership. But you know what I mean? I, I love Joe Schuster. It's just that his art probably suffered sometimes because of his eye problems, but also because, you know, he was so busy that he had to let others do the art mostly in the studio they were running, right? In the, in the right. golden age, those sweatshops. <laughs> but <laughs> um, so it wasn't always his art. But, you know, I... I have a bit of an issue with the way that Golden Age Superman... Well, I mean, all the Golden Age arts is a little bit strange. But if you compare Golden Age Superman art, this is just in my mind, to the JSA, you know, in All-Star Comics. The All-Star Comics art is superior to to this kind of thing. I don't know. That's just my personal opinion. Yeah. So this is very much like Superman landing after a jump or something, you know, in the Golden Age. It, it does look a bit odd. Yeah, but I don't mind it. I mean, I... It's just um, it's it, I, it it doesn't look like something Jerry Ordway would draw. <laughs> I just it's just uh, weird. And but, then but yeah. then Roy Thomas here with his dialogue, you gotta love it, <laughs> Superman. I can't believe it. I haven't seen so many mass heroes in one place since Hawkman interrupts and says, "Since the founding of the All Star Squadron a couple of months back, right, Superman uh, and Superman, uh, right." <laughs> <laughs> don't interrupt me, got, buddy. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah, and then Johnny Quick is like, you know, not that we all much we all recall much about that, you know, because you figure back in that story they kind of got like I don't want to say mind wiped, but sort of. And then uh, uh, who is it? Commander? Oh no, Commander Steel. It's a robot man. No, there's a real man of steel. Hey, eh? Hank and Brandy says a dreamboat of steel. Uh. You mean? <laughs> <laughs> now. Now, listen, Billy, this is where Roy gets... This is very interesting. You know, Roy, <laughs> lots of people criticize him as a writer. We don't because he puts in these little funny bits. And this particular mm-hmm. bit is him again dealing with the romantic angle and uh, personality traits of the of the squadron, right? So here you've got yeah. a firebrand being someone who's very verbal about her feelings, except when it comes to The Shining uh-huh. Knight, of course. But Liberty <laughs> Bell also digging the man of steel here but she's oh, not yeah. she's she's more like keeping it to herself and expressing it in other ways mm-hmm. like oh i re- like more in terms of regrets like oh i'm re- i regret that i'm with johnny quick <laughs> instead of with this guy <laughs> because we do see a lot of that in this issue liberty bell just fawning over superman she's completely mm-hmm. enraptured by you know the the man of tomorrow uh sadly mm-hmm. for her that he he won't be in her tomorrow <laughs> she's gonna be stuck <laughs> with Johnny, yeah. But Johnny's got endearing traits. But Johnny, he recognizes that immediately, doesn't he? Believe that Liberty Bell's like loving oh, yeah. him on a steel. Yeah, he he can see the the jealousy. It's great. <laughs> oh man, it's awesome, and we're gonna see more of that in these two issues. But um, you know, uh, this is this is a monumental decision here by Bell too, because Superman sort of inspires her to mm-hmm. pick the Parasphere as the main headquarters of the All-Star Squadron. Because after all, now that some of the JSA members are present, most of them, they kind of have to break the news that their headquarters have been totaled, <laughs> you know, by Fairytale's <laughs> Fenton. And um, yeah. could you blame, you know, the All-Star Squadron, uh, the new members? You could, because, you know, Tarantula showed up and that, you know, prompted Fenton to, you know, go to total the, the Get headquarters. Get crazy. Yeah, he thought it was the Sandman. But you can't really blame them for that. It was, you know, unintentional. But so now that they don't have headquarters anymore, 
Belle has to sort of make up for that. So she says, hey, I've got an idea. The Perisphere. You know, we could use that. And like I mentioned yeah. in the previous, you know, recording, the previous episode we did, Belize, that it was slated to be torn down and was, in fact, you know, repurposed and, and, and used for scrap metal for the war effort. But in this, uh, you know, Earth 2 timeline, nope. It, it becomes the, the, the famous and uh, iconic headquarters of the All-Star Squadron. It's just great having them at the oh, Perisphere. Yeah. It's amazing. So, um, you know, uh, that's, that's uh, one of the, the big deals in this issue is them finally getting a headquarters after 21 issues <laughs> of having being basically baseless, you know, headquarterless, I should say. <laughs> now finally took that, long enough. Yeah, yeah. It took a long time. <laughs> But Billy, I, I quickly just um, to to add something in here. You know, speaking about who's who um, and Jerry Ordway, it just jump started my memory. It, there must, like you say, there there was probably definitely a Superman two entry in who's who because after all, didn't Jerry Ordway draw that entry? Possibly, you know, I I, I remember something like that. Could be, yeah. You know, because I remember like um, who was it? Uh, John Byrne. Um, and Kurt Swan, maybe. Yeah, John Byrne and Kurt Swan, you know, double teamed on the Superman from Earth 1 entry. But then I'm pretty yeah. sure Jerry Ordway and uh, someone else, I'm not sure, it might have been Wayne Boring, they did the... Because didn't Wayne Boring and Jerry Ordway also do that Secret Origins issue, the very first one? The, yeah, the Secret Origins one, they did do that one, because I do own that. I yeah. have that one, and it's really cool it's great actually yeah so sorry i have to apologize for my shoddy memory here i haven't reread my who's who series in ages but yeah i definitely there must have been there must have been a superman 2 entry i'm sorry that i <laughs> misrecalled that but jerry or I mean, he definitely drew sh superman in the who's who so that must be it right it definitely wasn't the earth one version uh right billy Let's yell out through the ether. Uh, Shag, Rob, help, please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, we could even ask Martin because he recently got that omnibus. So. Um, oh, yeah, right. Yeah, I just haven't cracked open those issues in ages, man. It's been years. I, I mean, I did read, mm -hmm. uh, read some of them along with Rob and Shag. But, you know, those guys, when they did the Who's Who podcast, they're still doing it. But, you know, when it was more uh, a monthly thing, when they still had a lot of issues to cover... It was more like I stopped mm -hmm. reading at one point and just started to listen to the guys and tried to recall the images in my head rather than cracking open my my comics to listen to them every single time. Because, you know, most of the time I'm listening to podcasts while I'm commuting, right, Billy? Uh, and you're doing yeah. it while you're driving. Mm -hmm. It's hard to read and listen at the same time. Yeah. So I just let those guys run with mm -hmm. it. and They're good enough to, to let the issue replay itself in my head. So I just can't recall them talking about the Golden Age Superman specifically, but they must have, you know, during mm -hmm. those Who's Who episodes. So, yeah. But um, um, sorry for that aside. Let's get back to the story. So, Billy, like, <laughs> Liberty Bell, she uses an excuse. Well, actually, Superman brings this up. He says, like, okay, he's got a secret citadel. You know, he's recently, you know, <laughs> refurbished it or renovated it. Why don't you come over and have a look at it, Belle? <laughs> uh -huh. Billy, now, what did you say about Superman's love pad? This is maybe Golden Age Superman <laughs> because we know that he yes. was, he was, um, you know, his relationship with Lois was even more rocky than, you know, the, the relationship <laughs> in, the, in the Silver Age for Earth-1 Superman. 
So he must have, you know, had some girls, you know, over, like you say, at that love shack of his. I mean, he's he's probably mm-hmm. lucky that Green Lantern has a green light and not a blue light <laughs> when, he, <laughs> when he visits. But basically, uh-huh. what happens, essentially what happens is Superman invites Bell and only Bell to go with him to his secret citadel because he can mm-hmm. clearly, I mean, he, he can see that she's all over him, right? And she's mm-hmm. she's only got eyes for Superman. And he invites her over to his love shack. Now, I'm not saying... This is, you know, wrong on the part of Superman. I mean, hey, he's single. <laughs> She's sort of single, right? He doesn't know about Johnny mm-hmm. Quick. She's certainly not <laughs> showing that she's with Quick at this point in time. So, um, you know, he invites her over to have a look at the Citadel so that she can get an idea for, you know, fixing up the Perisphere. Mm-hmm. And then Green Lantern tags along simply because of the fact that he's an engineer and he might be able to <laughs> help. You know, but I'm thinking this is Green Lantern, you know, throwing Johnny Quick, well, helping out Johnny Quick here, saying that I'm going to, you know, be the third wheel and he's, keep an eye on He's going to C-block Superman, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I'm thinking that that might be the case. It, it might also be that he just needed to clear his head and he wanted to fly and wanted a smaller crowd, you know, around, but or get away from the scene of, his what he considers to be his crime right billy which is the perisphere mm-hmm. because johnny quick um tarantula robot man and steel they're staying put right they're gonna uh-huh. stay at the perisphere and repair the robot butler <laughs> make a robot butler for themselves <laughs> tarantula's uh-huh. gonna write up some notes for his for an upcoming story that he wants to publish much to the you know um much to johnny quick's uh you know, ire. He's inciting Johnny Quick to anger doing <laughs> that. Yeah, but that's just Johnny taking <laughs> it out on Tarantula because now he's been, you know, um, given the cold shoulder by Bell in favor of Superman, right? Mm-hmm. So, but this is great yeah, for Roy mad. Thomas. Like, Billy, I mean, think about this character interplay here. Uh, it's fantastic. Oh, I love it. <laughs> I love, yeah, I love it too because I guess Hawkman, you know, kind of said about, oh, let's, uh, you know, we, we've been called by the government to go to D.C. to form a justice battalion. Mm, mm, mm. So, you know, they they all want to go do that. And then you got another knucklehead supreme here, the other Johnny. And yeah. he says, hey, I've got a hot idea, group. If we form a justice battalion, Wonder Woman can be our secretary. Oh, <laughs> and damn. Adam flips out on him. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is Roy saying that this would not be okay, okay in the 80s. And then he puts in some dialogue mm-hmm. for the rest of the characters. But then, you know, and it's also good that he uses Johnny Quick for this because, you know, Johnny Quick being the resident, you know, it, well, he's not exactly known to be, you know, um, very sensitive when it comes to matters of a feminine, you know, nature when it comes to mm-hmm. feminism and so forth. But, you know, Wonder Woman's up for it. Um, it you know, she she then says it's okay. She'll offer to... to to take the job but um you know still cringeworthy right billy especially if you look at the old golden age panel which is like basically wonder uh. woman. now wonder woman in the in the golden age she was not i think a full member when she was drafted as the secretary but here she she sort of is you know uh, part of the mm-hmm. jsa i think but um 
you know, yeah, Johnny Quick, uh, uh, sorry, not Johnny Quick, Johnny Thunder, the two Johnnies in this definitely uh, not very uh, sensitive about matters like these, right? I think Johnny Quick is, is better at it because Libby's sort of, you know, browbeating him into becoming a better man, <laughs> but yeah, nobody can do that with, with Johnny Thunder and nobody will ever do that with Johnny Thunder. Um, <laughs> and, and that's the way I wanted to stay. <laughs> you know, I'm just mm-hmm. not a big Johnny Thunder fan. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know. I've never read a Johnny Thunder story I like. Um, Billy, did you ever read that JLA uh, Black Canary Earth 2, Earth 1 JSA crossover debacle with Black Canary from Earth 2 coming to Earth 1 and then Johnny Thunder being her, you know, old love interest in... Oh, that was just... That, that, that storyline was horrible. It happened in the 80s, mm. early 80s. Oh, Johnny Thunder, I really hated Good. it. Really got to Good hate grief. it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the ad, like I said, the Adam puts him in his place. Huh? Of all the jerky notions, that lady's got more power in her little finger than you. And then even Dr. Fate. Wonder Woman didn't leave Paradise Island so she could sharpen pencils for the duration, Johnny Thunder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then, you know, she says, okay, but still, that's not okay, right? But, you know, she, <laughs> she treats us more as fun, you know, and... Um, I know um, who who is it that says she she probably types much faster than anybody alive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which is which Johnny is Thunder says. Otherwise, it would probably be me, and neither me or Thunderbolt uh, spell so good. Besides, I'll bet she writes fast. <laughs> <laughs> Knucklehead. <laughs> yeah, man. But you know, I I love this because this is again important bits from the golden age that Roy is putting mm-hmm. in here. And I'm glad you brought up the Hawkman angle about the Justice Battalion. In this, uh, in, in Roy's established stories, it never actually happened. Uh, whereas in the Golden Age uh, comics, it really did happen because we were shown in mm-hmm. the previous two issues uh, that it only happened in their dreams, those uh, dream states that the brainwave induced. But, you know, now Hawkman mm-hmm. is sort of bringing it back in line with Golden Age continuity by saying, no, it's funny that that actually happened in our dreams because um, before the whole brainwave, you know, uh, battle, Hawkman was actually called up by the the, the government to, you know, um, get this Justice Society together and then they would form the Justice Battalion. You know, so this is still mm-hmm. in line with the Golden Age. Uh, just not exactly, yeah. you know, um, uh, fitting in like it did back then, but... Uh, Royce, you know, definitely uh, wants to keep the continuity, you know, well, he wants to respect the Golden Age uh, stories. So he's changing some of them, but not too significantly. And some aspects he does change them majorly. But I'm I'm thinking for the better. Right, Billy? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it depends on, yeah. on, on what you're a greater fan of. Are you a bigger fan of the Golden Age or are you a bigger fan? I, I'm sure like there were back back in this time there were like 60 year old folks or 50 year old people reading Roy's stuff and saying oh this young whippersnapper he's uh, get off my lawn he's like changing up my old famous you know favorite golden age storylines I hate him (laughs) you know there could have been but you know for me personally as a comic book reader in the 80s early 80s um, uh, I love what Roy did and, and what he changed around. Not oh, yeah. that I always knew what he was changing around. I only found that out with later rereads, but, you know, so mm-hmm. good on Roy there. Um, and you know yeah. a guy like Roy is going to be respectful when it comes to the mm-hmm. original material. Yeah. 
So, yep. so Billy, then we uh, have them all splitting up into different teams. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Like where are each of these groups going and who's staying put? We are at the Hawkman and Firebrand, the Atom and Dr. Fate. They're going to go to uh, the, the smashed up old headquarters where they're going to look for that quote unquote hammer of Thor. <laughs> and then you have Johnny Thunder, Wonder Woman, Starman. Uh, Dr. Midnight and I think Sandman there and they are heading to um, uh, the I think they're the ones that are going to head to uh, is it uh, Washington did they say they're going to be yeah yeah they have yeah. to go to to be part of the Justice Battalion yeah kind of yeah like talk to the is it the president or whoever I don't know if they actually named anybody or just said the government but um, yeah and then like we general, said Superman yeah, yeah Superman mm-hmm. Liberty Bell and uh, GL head off to Superman's uh, pad, and then the rest of the the crew was still there, like Johnny Quick and Tarantula and the Robot Man and Steel. They're still going to stay at the headquarters and kind of spruce it up and fix the robot. Yeah. Now we know that there's going to be a new villain introduced because you see this right off, uh, you know, by just looking at the cover, right, Billy? Mm-hmm. Um, but for old Golden Age, you know, readers at the time, this villain must have seemed strange because it's um, a villain dressed in a costume similar to the outfit that the Atom would eventually adopt in 1948 in, in the Golden Age. And, sort of, yeah. But on the cover, it's this villain sporting the Atom's future costume, costume hefting the Atom, you know, above his head, ready to, th- to, to mm-hmm. throw him to his death. So, um, of course, this is very interesting. But, you know, at mm-hmm. the time when I was reading it, I did not know that the Atom's cost- costume had changed. I wasn't reading the All-Star, the comics that preceded the All-Star Squadron, you know, mm-hmm. the the ones from the, the 70s. So 70s, yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, this, this, this was an interesting cover. It must have been for some people at the time. Um, and then also, right, Billy, uh, we've got, when, when they head off into these separate teams, we've got these mm-hmm. uh, little logos of each of the... The, this, the squadroners' mm-hmm. names as they showed up in the Golden Age, probably. Um, I right. think most of them were, were, you know, these logos were, you know, shown like, like they are, except I think the Atoms only appeared once at the way it's shown. But, you know, uh, I love that. The fact that, you know, now, you know, since there's a smaller team, they could, you know, do the roll call of the team members by just showing <laughs> these distinctive logos they sported in the Golden Age. It's pretty good yeah. there. So well done there. By of course, you know I think we should credit the letterer for that, right, Billy? Uh, which Probably, case, yeah. yeah. Which in this case, of course, is uh, Carrie Spiegel, Carrie McCarthy, mm-hmm. uh, as she's later known. Mm-hmm. So um, yep. that's a great bit. I don't know what did you think about that? Yeah, I like that quite a bit. You know, like you said, it does kind of give you the nostalgic kick there, where it reminds you of you know some older comics where they would do that. And it's it's pretty cool. I like it. Like I said, and kudos to the letterer for sure. But Oh, yeah, this first one here, man, uh, I didn't mention it in my synopsis, but, you know, it's uh, yeah, it's a fight between these heroes and this new guy, Cyclotron, but, you know, something pretty awful happens, and it's tough. It's yeah. tough to read. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this this is, yeah, this is Roy sort of um, saying that, you know, this is not the Golden Age. Well, the Golden Age had a lot of people dying, but, you know, in comics, but this, this is so, sort of showing the real-world consequences of maybe nuclear power again, I think. We saw that in the previous issue, 
you know, but that was mm-hmm. more the GL just, um, you know, using his power. But it sort of mirrored what would happen in Hiroshima and Nagasaki uh, in 1945. Mm-hmm. But, you know, um, here, uh, you know, uh, the villain has nuclear-based abilities, atomic power. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, what, someone dies, you know, which is, uh, in this case, a police officer protecting Mayor Fiorello Lagardia. Lagardia. How, mm-hmm. how do you pronounce that, Billy? Mm-hmm. Lagardia? Lagardia. Lagardia. LaGuardia. LaGuardia. Oh, what am I saying? Yeah, of course, like the airport. Like the airport. (laughs) Mm -hmm. No, I knew that. I just Mm -hmm. always mess up that name. Later, in fact, our Earth Prime archive is all about uh, Mayor LaGuardia. Um, He Mm -hmm. he played a a significant role in, well, at least the, you know, some parts of the the war preparations for World War II while still being mayor of New York at the time. So, um, uh, you know, one of those historical figures that you kind of have to include you know but yeah so i'm going to talk talk about him later but you know um the mayor is saved by this cop because after all this building the jsa building now is on fire right billy it's it's somehow been set alight and uh, we realize that that is because the hammer of thor is sought by this new villain who's waiting in the rubble and and it's it's fitting that he encounters (laughs) the atom first because they would sort of be their destinies would be tied together uh, kind of if you think about right. it from this point onward. And um, Roy's going to use that down the line, but I don't want to spoil anything for anyone yet. But still, the atom meets the cyclotron, <laughs> which is in <laughs> itself very uh, apropos. And then uh, he pre- he proceeds to mop the floor with him, even though they've got Dr. Fate along. Mm-hmm. Now, Dr. Fate at this point in time, very much like a Superman character, right? But he doesn't have his magic, but he's got his magic-based abilities super strength, near invulnerability, flight. And uh, Cyclotron proves to be his better, you know? Okay, he's assisted by these creepy crawlies, right? These little... Little demons or something, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I want to compare them to Marvel's The Mole Men, but they don't look at all similar. But they're definitely a subterranean sort of race. Right. Yeah, we'll find out about them next Mm. issue. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, poor, poor, you know... (laughs) They're, they're these little demons and their sexual urges. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's what I was going to say, but I thought, no, I'll let you handle that. <laughs> yeah, the womenless society and they're horny as hell and they'll, they're willing to worship any woman who comes along. <laughs> oh, it's yeah. great. And anyway, they, they show up uh, along with Cyclotron. They're intelligent. You know, they, mm-hmm. they can, you know, mm-hmm. they're like attack dogs, really, following this this designated leader of theirs cyclotron in mm-hmm. this case and then he he does manage to get the hammer um and he uh takes out the atom dr fate firebrand though shows off um uh some of her major skills here right but she absorbs yeah. basically the the flame from the well the entire building but the structure is already damaged significantly right so dr fate oh, decides yeah. to you know he's just gonna help the demolition crew by just bringing down the wall that's gonna come down in any way by, you know, sort mm-hmm. of like um, uh, smashing through it with his invulnerable body. But then they find out he's not quite as invulnerable, you know, as they thought. Because uh, the nuclear bursts, <laughs> not to steal anything away from Firestorm, but what would you call them, right? I believe these nuclear blasts, atomic yeah. blasts from Cyclotron, they sort of lay Dr. Fate low on a number of occasions. Yeah, I mean, he originally is, he seems like he can withstand it a lot more than anybody else on the team but they eventually he eventually succumbs to it as well 
yeah yeah of course yeah he's like sort of almost protecting the rest of the team you know against these blasts from uh, cyclotron and cyclotron and you know he's sporting this little mustache <laughs> well we'll see that he's he's taken from an established well uh, character from the superman golden age uh, comics uh, but we'll get into that later um, I'm leaving that for the Firebrand segment in the second issue. <laughs> you know which one I mean, Billy. When we talk about who <laughs> oh, Cyclotron yeah. is. Um, but, you know, he, he looks really funny to me. He looks like this kind of Errol Flynn type. <laughs> you know, but... He, he does, yeah. Yeah, dressed up as this um, Buck Rogers-esque uh, or more Adam Strange looking. I mean, he's got a like, fin mm-hmm. on his head. Always reminds me of Adam Strange <laughs> or, or, or Buck Rogers, you know, from the, from the, the 30s. Um, mm-hmm. And then, you know, basically he, uh, you know, um, engages in some repartee with the with the All-Star Squadron, but he's firmly established as someone who's unwilling to hurt. And that makes it even more, you know, um, emotional when he then causes the death of this police officer. Uh, who yeah, saves, he's real, yeah. yeah, he's real kind of broken up about it. You can tell he's not your garden variety villain. Yeah, but he's willing to share the blame because he's sort of also blaming the All-Stars for that, uh, the squadron. He says, like, it's your mm-hmm. fault, too. It's on my... It, it's it's black in my name for all eternity, but yours, too, because if you just let me have the hammer, then none of this would have happened. But we'll find out later that he's got another reason that he's helping whoever the main villain is. Who, who, well, we've already mentioned it's the Ultra-Humanite, but he's working for the Ultra-Humanite. Uh, mm-hmm. He needs to get the hammer to deliver it to her, or to to him, <laughs> to it. <laughs> and uh, you know, um, he's got he's basically doesn't have a choice. He's being forced into doing this because of a hold she has over him, which we'll reveal later. And then Billy, um, he he makes good his escape. Right, he gets away basically with murder yeah. after this cop saves Mayo Lagardia with some help from Doctor Fate. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, the, this this um, police officer, one of New York's finest, dies beneath the rubble of this mm-hmm. collapsing wall. Yeah. But the mayor's safe, which which makes him still, you know, uh, firmly in uh, continuity. <laughs> you know, this is not Roy changing up something major like not demolishing the perisphere or the, you know, this is at least Mayor La, uh, LaGuardia didn't die. All right. So, Billy, speak mm-hmm. on the next bit. Yeah, so then we see the whole Soupy and GL and Bell going to uh, his pad there, and uh, it's in the side of a mountain, and you know this kind of a uh, regal, majestic-looking, you know, <laughs> super fancy Kryptonian apartment building, basically or apartment, I should say. And you know they all go inside and they're checking things out, and he's showing his exercise equipment off, like you know they could use it even. Well, I mean, I guess GL maybe could use his ring, but. Before they get too uh, excited, uh, the floor starts shaking like an earthquake, and then here we go again with those crazy little green demon minion Middle Earthers. They start attacking <laughs> and going berserk. <laughs> yeah, mm. um, I forgot. So th- funny. Yeah, no, it's it's this is a great bit. You know, I um I love the fact that Superman needs to have these gimmicky doors. You know, like uh, you know, obviously in the Silver Age, yeah. um, he had the giant key to the fortress of solitude yeah. <laughs> but here he has this the world's largest swinging door <laughs> you know as they <laughs> as they they went through it now when they took off right believe from the perisphere superman was holding bell firmly 
in his arms. Uh-huh. Now GL's got her in this little <laughs> platform, flying platform. So you might think that Superman sort of felt Bell getting a little fresh on him or something. So he said, GL, why don't you take over <laughs> transporting the lady for a while here? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I don't know <laughs> what happened there. But something you know, must have happened, you, yeah. You still have, you know, uh, Liberty Bell making these puppy dog eyes at Superman all the time. You know, and then... Uh, but then she also sort of becomes offended sometimes at Superman's statement sometimes. You know, like Superman later on tries to help her. And then, you know, when the munchies mm-hmm. attack or what the munchkins or these demonic munchkins, <laughs> creep, creepy crawlies. And then she's offended at that. She says, I'm not, I don't much like being looked after, Superman. Um, <laughs> which is great. But, but you know, Billy, Superman, he's not very modest when it comes to the, the things he displays in his pad, right? There's like a giant yeah. poster on the wall, world premiere of Superman. <laughs> Superb, amazing. <laughs> and then he's like got a trophy he has with himself on top of it. Yeah, trophy room. <laughs> he's got a radio with his S on it. He's got a giant, mm-hmm. you know, um, you know, exercise machine there. This, this, what would, what is it like? The spring <laughs> that he uses to exercise shoulder yeah. blades man there's a lot of trophies in that place certificates all over the and then this earthquake happens like you mentioned now this is mm-hmm. the introduction of a new villain death bolt created by roy and jerry ordway and he's based mm-hmm. off of an old golden age character called blue bolt i don't know if you ever oh yeah you you, oh, you know that's about a simon him. and kirby or joe simon i think yeah yeah no it's it, yeah. I, I think simon and kirby oh or joe simon yes okay. and then kirby you know, when they started uh, working together, he was the first penciler on that. But yeah, then they became the yeah. Simon and Kirby team. So mm-hmm. there's very early days for mm-hmm. for Jack and Joe. And, um, you know, um, uh, the, uh, apparently Roy loved the costume of Blue Bolt so much that he decided to somehow get a character into All-Star Squadron that <laughs> resembles him. But, you know, in this case, it's a villain. <laughs> So, um, yeah. yeah, that's unfortunate, but not unfortunate. I, I think this villain brings a different dimension to villainy in the All-Star Squadron, at least what we've seen so far. He's a much more uh, murderous type. You know, he's willing to kill and he has the power to do it. can generate, uh, you know, millions, millions of volts of electricity and deadly, even able to hurt Superman, right? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Now, mm-hmm. um, now you might argue that Golden Age Superman is a lot less invulnerable. It's true he is than the the Earth One or or Silver Age Superman, but um, you know uh, I prefer that in this storyline. You know you don't want someone like Superman showing up and then every villain just uh, incapable of beating him, or or that you get to the situation where you can't quite explain why Superman lost because the villains showing up are so much less powerful. But in this case, of course, yeah. the villains are. The power level here has been upped significantly. Yeah. I mean, Cyclotron alone took out Dr. Fate and and uh, three other all-stars, right, Billy? Sort of. And then, you know, now you've got a villain mm-hmm. that can take on Superman and GL. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so, and yeah. Bell. So um, I like the fact that, you know, they're they're upping the power levels of the villains here a little bit. So it's it's um, Superman's in dire straits here, even in his own digs. And um, then, you know, you've got the main villain showing up. So mm-hmm. this only happens, though, after the Power Stone is, uh, you know, uh, Superman drops the Power Stone, right, Billy? And then what happens? Yeah. 
this this hot lady <laughs> shows up. <laughs> yeah, all of a sudden, as Liberty Bell's trying to grab the power stone, another hand like shows zapping her and then grabbing the stone. And then, uh, like I said, when Superman and Geo look up, Superman is knows who this is. And GL and Liberty Bell are like, what? And he says about it, uh, Ultra, or the Ultra Humanite, and using his full name. And GL goes, huh? Did you say his name? Because it's a really attractive lady <laughs> that Superman <laughs> keeps referring to her as a guy. Because, well, we'll find out. But, yeah, it's a pretty awesome scene. A great splash page at the end there. Oh, oh it's incredible. Yeah, that GL is... looks great. That's an amazing... Yeah, GL, particularly great. He's always drawn fantastically yeah. by Ordway, but... Yeah, mm-hmm. in that page especially. But, you know, also the way Jerry draws ladies, it's it's um, it's great. Mm-hmm. You know, like she looks totally different than any other template that, that he's used so far. And he doesn't really have a template when it gets to ladies because each of them look, you know, unique. Like Firebrand is completely different than Liberty Bell, for instance. And Wonder Woman, the same, you know. So here that we've got another lady showing up who's just a regular. I mean, she's a famous actress. She At least she used to be. Dolores Winters, but she, so she's a stunning looking woman, but mm-hmm. he draws her to be totally, oh, yeah. you know, uh, distinctive. And um, this is a great splash page, like you said, to end the comic with. Uh, bathing in the, yeah. the what would you call it, the aura of the Power Stone. Yeah, the rays of it or whatever, yeah. yeah. So um, now mm, we know there's great. trouble because the Power Stone already proved to be Superman's better in the hands of Luthor. Mm-hmm. Now it's in the hands of one of his other, arguably his second greatest Golden Age enemy, which is uh, the Ultra Humanite. So um, interesting, yeah. right, Billy? This is going to be great. Uh, uh, yeah. Fantastic stories to come. I, I do love how uh, Roy gives uh, Deathbolt some kind of like some gangster lingo. Yeah. Like I, he sounds like he sounds like a meathead because you know Ultra is you know holding the Power Stone and says a few short seconds. I'll be powerful enough to destroy you all. And Deathbolt says, those I ain't deep fried already, you mean. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he's like, yeah, I I love the personality they give him, which is totally different than, no, this is a character Roy loves, Blue Bolt. And then he based Mm -hmm. this character Deathbolt off, off of him. But they went in the totally opposite direction. It's almost like he is Blue Bolt from earth uh you know three <laughs> you know from the crime the bizarre world or something or yeah, yeah. bizarre world or maybe uh, you know earth x <laughs> who, who knows a nazi blue ball uh, because this guy's lecherous he's uh mm, lascivious, he's, crazy, yeah. he's uh murderous he's all of those you know adjectives and um so a reprehensible character but also someone who's you know uh constantly willing to just fly off the handle and the ultra humanite mm-hmm. sort of has to curb his ambitions or his uh, his his needs, his desires. Could be a serial killer. I mean, he's wanted for murder. We'll find out more about his origin in the next issue, right, Billy? But he's a murderer, mm-hmm. a criminal yeah. thing from the police, and then saved by the ultra humanite. So, given these yeah. powers, so um, mm-hmm. she's got a team of so far only three three people in her corner including herself of course later on uh, the you know in issue 23 we'll we'll see another member of the team who's going to you know play a significant role um in in mm-hmm. you know the all-star squadron but um basically she's got this team uh, surrounding her who each on their own is powerful enough to deal with uh, a couple of all-star squadron members 
Um, yeah. So she's assembled this. Uh, you, you, my point is, you feel that Roy has set up a powerful enough supervillain threat to to actually deal with the All Star Squadron. You know, even though they've got heavy hitters mm-hmm. like Superman and Doctor Fate and GL on their side. So right. yeah, the Power Stone alone, right, makes her quite formidable. So mm-hmm. really, that's it. I think I I do want to mention something else though. You know, earlier we talked about Death Bolt and Blue Bolt and Roy liking the character of Blue Bolt. Eventually, did you know that Roy and I think it's his wife Dan, they would uh, launch a Blue Bolt series. You know, for oh, wow. I think it was in nineteen eighty seven, and that was for you know, uh, Alter Ego publications. You know, so that's when when he was doing some comics mm. for Alter Ego, and that would be called I think Captain Thunder and Blue Bolt. You know, so it's oh, I like did not a, know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he loved the character enough to then do a series um, on the character. You know, and he also That's great. yeah he also um, introduced him. I think uh, in you know, um, I think it was yeah the first comics. You know, the superhero series for Alter Ego. Um, so you know, obviously Roy had his favorites: Hawkman, <laughs> Blue Bolt. Superman, lots of other characters that he, <laughs> he was his favorites. You can yeah. can never tell because he has so many characters he loves from the golden age. So Billy, overall right. great issue, significant threat mm-hmm. enough to get you to buy the next issue. I think at the time to find out what would oh happen. Oh my gosh, now. yeah. Um, so we'll head on into the next issue. I'll quickly run through the, mm-hmm. the details and then I'll give the synopsis. The synopsis. So we're on to issue twenty-two. Um, this time around, the title is The Power Stone Corrupts Absolutely. I think the first title mm-hmm. for, for issue 21 that we had, you know, A Tale of Three Citadels, obviously taken from, you know, the Charles Dickens novel, right? A Tale of Two Cities, A Tale of Now It's mm-hmm. Three Citadels. Um, it right. didn't really work for me, right, Billy? I don't know why. It's not <laughs> It's not really about <laughs> the citadel, you know? It's kind of, I mean, if you think about it, they're getting the Perisphere as a citadel, Superman taking them to the, the, the his secret citadel. I don't know. It just it didn't work for me. This one is better though. You know, absolute power corrupts absolutely. This time it's the power stone mm-hmm. corrupts absolutely, which which does in fact happen. I just like Good this one. Good stuff. Yeah. yeah, I like this one better. Mm-hmm. So um, All Star Squadron uh, number twenty two, cover date June nineteen eighty three, on sale March twenty fourth nineteen eighty three. And edited again by Roy Thomas, editing himself. Written by Roy, penciled by Jerry Ordway, inked again by Mike Macklin, lettered by David Cody Weiss. Now, he would take over the lettering duties from here on out, right, Billy? Mm-hmm. David Cody Weiss. And then colorist Carl Gaffert. All right. Um, so, my synopsis for this issue is as follows. It's a very short one this time around. Um, because a lot happens that we want to discuss rather than just, you know, read it out. <laughs> so inside the Man of Tomorrow, Super Citadel, Ultra Humanite and Death Bolt mop the floor with Superman, Liberty Bell and GL with the help of the Power Stone, of course. Ultra then merges with the Power Stone, giving him or her near unlimited power and gloats about it to our three defeated squadroniers. While all this humiliation is being piled on our heroes, Cyclotron, meanwhile, decides to kidnap his old flame, Danette Riley, <laughs> a.k.a. Firebrand, of course. He heads towards Superman's mountain retreat to join up with his villainous buddies, but hot on his heels are the rest of the All-Star Squadron, Steel, Robot Man, and Johnny Quick. 
They prove no match for the dastardly trio of Ultra, Deathbolt, and the smitten Cyclotron, who then kidnaps Superman, Firebrand, and Robot Man, while leaving the rest of the heroes in the rubble. As they make good their escape, <laughs> Ultra reveals her sinister plan to transplant her brain into the body of Robot Man. <laughs> wow. <laughs> So crazy, very crazy, but it it fits right, Billy. It completely fits a villain like Ultra mm -hmm. Humanite showing up, and then you have someone like Robot Man who's known for transplanting brains. At least you know mm -hmm. his uh, you know his friend was, but that was the whole. Well, I don't know. No, that wasn't their. That was their whole purpose behind it. You know, to to do a brain transplant for someone in need, right? So mm -hmm. they're good at transplanting brains into robotic bodies ultra's good at transplanting her own brain into human bodies or you know animal like bodies as it would would eventually <laughs> happen so you know it makes sense that roy again ties two things together and saying that oh ultra will recognize this and then she will try to because she's always looking for a better body right billy as it turns out in this origin yeah. tale here uh, she he didn't well, yeah, want to was... be Yes, no, yeah, that. it was not supposed to be a, wo a woman's body, but <laughs> yeah. the goons that were sent out to get a body, that was the easiest way. So it ended up being a woman. So the doctors were like, whatever, get the body in here because, you know, time's you running need, out. You only have a certain amount of time. Yeah, only a certain amount of time to do that surgery. So let's go. <laughs> yeah. Well, to be fair, they were planning on cap capturing the actress, on kidnapping the actress Dolores Wint Winters and holding her for ransom or, you know, uh, that was mm -hmm. part part of a di different scheme, but since she was the only captive they had available, yeah, they offered her up, uh, you know, to save their boss. So yeah, it makes sense, you know. Mm -hmm. Again, it doesn't; it's not implausible. Yeah. But um, yeah. it's just funny that someone like the ultra humanite would have the side racket of kidnapping actresses <laughs> and holding them for ransom. But I guess he needed <laughs> the money, you know. So, and and lots of oh, goons yeah. were working for him at the time, yeah. But Billy, yeah, get ready. This one's this one's got a lot of crazy stuff in here. Dialogue and some <laughs> It's off the stuff. chain, man. It's off the chain. But I'll, let, I'll let you speak about that first, Billy. Like, um, start us off with this issue. What did you think? And and what happened? I, I liked it. Mm. I liked it quite a bit. Like we've said before, I think there's a lot going on here. Like you could have almost these two issues could have almost been three issues. So I I almost feel like that probably would have been better. Uh, so it wasn't so squished together, but um, it's just hilarious. Some of the humor moments in this comic just had me laughing quite a bit. But, you know, the whole like back to Superman calling Ultra a guy on the first page there. And Bell's like, he, he, Superman says, better men than you have tried that, Ultra. And Bell, better men? <laughs> and she, uh, if he if he thinks that's a guy his superman's eyesight has been affected by that thing <laughs> <laughs> like, oh yeah Too oh funny. man that's great yeah that's Roy making you know using i mean it's a serious situation right the, but he's right. still using this you know to inject a bit of levity in here um yeah because only superman's privy to the knowledge that the ultra humanite used to be a man but this is also mm -hmm. maybe unintentional humor too right billy it's just the way Roy deals with it, but yeah, it's it's yeah, Roy's great at that, you know. Um, oh yeah. And then you have a great mm -hmm. splash page on the very next page. Oh my gosh! It's not really it's a splash. So I mean, good. it's three panels, but there's one giant panel, and uh, it's Ultra again bathing in the light of these of the the Power Stone, and then Deathbolt showing up at the back. So basically, the All Stars are sandwiched between these mm -hmm. two 
well, you know, immovable foes. And then the creepy crawlies are also hanging around. So it's fantastic oh, art here. Man. And this time around, I've got nothing to complain about. There's uh, Macklin, Mike Macklin hits every note here. Um, it's it's an amazing, uh, you know, effort that he puts on the inking. Look um, at that panel, though, the one in the, the far right bottom. Oh, my gosh, of Ultra, like, holding the power stone ooh. there. Like, look at the detail in her hair and face and all her neck. Like, that looks incredible. Bathed in that pinkish glow of the power stone. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's great. Yeah. And then, you know, we've got a quote here uh, by Roy. Well, putting in a quote here by Seneca, you know, the philosopher, uh, Greek philosopher, who is it? You know, what he, he says, he who is too powerful seeks power beyond his power. You know, so. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. Um, you could equate that to to a number of people, you know, Hitler, you know, uh, Stalin, Jeff Bezos. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> you know, it could be. Um, you know, it's true. <laughs> and in anyway, in this case, it, it's true because uh, the ultra humanite is so powerful now with the power stone. She wants to up that power by gathering the three talismans of power to, you know, that would allow her to rule, well, the world, reality, the universe, even. And um, we now get more into the story, right? More into her plan or mm -hmm. his plan, which is that he wants <laughs> these three, you know, the Hammer of Thor being one of them, you know, Ultra uh, yes. sent Cyclotron to retrieve that. And then the Power Stone being the second. And we'll learn about the third later on, right, Billy, which is a surprise. Uh, but um, Yeah, not, not, not quite yet, yeah. Yeah, so you're right. This issue is saturated with a villain just wanting more and more power. I mean, I'd be content with just the Power Stone. <laughs> but um, that's not going to yeah, be enough. Yeah, for real. Not going to be enough for Ultra. But Billy, then what happens on page four, something that Luther never dreamed of doing, Ultra Humanite goes in this direction. What does he do with the Power Stone? Yeah, he, yeah, he basically wants to become one with the you know, stone itself, like, and not like in form, but just like, uh, like absorb the power or something. And like, ba basically the power and ultra humanite are going to be one. And, That's right. you know, we're going to see later on how that doesn't really work out, but just making himself or herself <laughs> super, <laughs> even more powerful than just someone wielding it. Yeah. Listen, I should apologize to listeners who don't know. Sometimes I call the ultra humanite itself. That's not a reference to the fact that the ultra humanite doesn't really have a gender. It's more like the reference to the fact that he's going to become a gorilla, <laughs> you know? So I just don't want anybody offended by, by the fact that I keep calling her or him and it. But let's just call the ultra humanite him because he started off as a guy, right, Billy? Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And mm -hmm. uh, Superman even does that too. So this is, this is a great <laughs> bit, though. It shows how truly ineffectual Superman is against magic. But mm -hmm. also, I, I, I'm, I like this. I don't resent that fact. I do like that because, you know, a, a character as powerful as Superman, you need to, to sort of put him in situations where he's at the mercy of some form of power. And I, I hate that it's always kryptonite. So I love the fact that he's vulnerable yeah. to magic. And here she just... I do too. Yeah. She uses mm -hmm. the Power Stone to sort of like use him as a, a battering ram to smash up his citadel even more than it's already been <laughs> dismantled by this, you know, earthquake that she can cause. And that's caused by her technology. We'll see later that she has this earthquake technology, this mole-like uh, tunneling machine. machine. 
Mm. Yeah. And that's how she caused the earthquake that gave her and Death Bolt, uh, allowed them to gain entry to the Citadel. And Superman, yeah, remember, he was, he was surprised, right? But he says, oh, but I, it's impossible. There can't be an earthquake here. I chose this spot because it's virtually quake-proof. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the man. Again, Jerry Ordway and Mike Michael, look at that panel on page five where it has uh, Death Bolt Blast and GL. And it, oh, it looks great. Really good panel. Like there's detail, really good detail in Death Bolt's like face and his like musculature and stuff. And he's zapping the crap out of GL at the top panel there. Oh, it looks so good. Oh, it's really good. And you know, even, um, even his hand. Yeah. Yeah. yeah even the, his hand. The like the detail. It's crazy. Yeah. It's great. Yeah, so oh, Macklin's inking does not take away from Orway's detail. It enhances it, um, or it puts his own uh, spin on it, on Jerry Ordway's art, and that's what I what I like here. Um, I'm fine yeah. with, with having Jerry Ordway inking himself forever. It's beautiful. Oh, yeah. It was 19 and 20, but yeah. you can't realistically, you know, you can't uh, expect that, right, Billy, with every issue. Mm -hmm. So Mike Macklin, right. the, the next best thing for, for Ordway, a fantastic yeah. inker. And then we've got this epic battle between Deathbolt uh, and Ultra and GL, where he's sort of, um, you know, on the defensive very much so, right, Believe, And they sort of managed yeah. to crack through his bubble here because not just Deathbolt's power, but also the, the Power Stone proving too much for mm -hmm. even GL. Again, believable, yeah. because the Power Stone could, could literally do almost anything. And right. then Liberty Bell shows her... Uh, shows off her power here insignificant as it might be she uses it to great effect so they had to kind of roy had to show liberty, liberty bell pulling her weight here and she does and she's always great with that but i i firmly think of liberty bell as more of a leader than a fighter you know Billy, she's a planner she's a strategist but when she does fight she's very captain america-esque don't you think Pe peggy carter-esque mm -hmm. uh, if you oh, want to yeah, yeah, put some sure. marvel in there she is, of course, uh, you know, uh, a hero firmly based in, you know, the, what, what do you call it, a patriotic uh, superhero, right, Billy? Right. And uh, I love the fact that she fights like the, you know, the, the comic book fighting style Jack Kirby pioneered, you know, right. when, when he did Captain America in the 40s in the Golden Age. Uh, this is very dynamic action every time Liberty Bell engages in a battle. But then, you know, she takes care of these munchies in spectacular fashion, showing off some acrobatic skills, <laughs> some martial arts skills, a mixture of the two. And then Deathbolt steps on her fingers and and tries <laughs> to electrocute her, right? Yeah. But Ultra Humanite saves her. Now, this is another one of those baffling, like, why save her? I mean, isn't Superman GL enough to, <laughs> you know, to, to <laughs> right. talk down yeah. to or to keep us <laughs> witnesses? But she wants all of them to be saved. But maybe because Bell seems to be the more intelligent of the two guys here, you know, of the three. <laughs> well, right? well, let's let's not be silly about it. Yeah, that's that's some true facts right there. <laughs> yeah, well, it is. I mean, that's the way she's presented. But Deathbolt then mm -hmm. slaps her, uh, which is yeah. very you know uh, disturbing because he slapped her hard enough to to break her jaw. I think it is. At Just least about, she, yeah. She hints that that might be the case, mm -hmm. and then you know they ultra uh, engage. Well, they she um, sort of traps them in this force shield, right, Billy? And then mm -hmm. after that, it's origin. Cue the origin story. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, now, this is crazy. Absolutely insane. Yeah, yeah. I want you to talk about this, Billy. This is this is very uh, well unique as origins go. I think because this is like the second origin of the ultra humanite. The first origin being he was an evil scientist trapped in a wheelchair mm-hmm. who released this plague. Um, yeah. <laughs> on Metropolis, Superman defeated him. But then what happened, Billy? <laughs> yeah, I love how uh, it, the caption box says, "As head of an organization, I called." the cab protective league <laughs> whatever that means and it says superman squelched my little protection racket but i escaped invalid that i was and then it said about uh here's that part we referenced earlier where you know there he is on the table and they're like hey we got this chick beggars can't be choosers doc and he's like you brought us a woman and he, the other guy the sex of the new host body does not matter only time matters, and then that's when they have the, the crazy brain swap operation. Yeah. <laughs> wow. That's basically we already ran through this origin, but you know, yeah. <laughs> we jumped the gun on this it's one. It's crazy. It's it's great. And then you know, um, after she became a woman, this is all from the Golden mm-hmm. Age. And then a significant character introduced by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster here, Doctor Terry Curtis, a scientist that the Ultra Humanoid obviously used to build the well. Um, he harnessed atomic power already, right? Before the Manhattan mm-hmm. Project went uh, yeah. was underway, and then mm-hmm. ultra humanized uh, the ultra humanite weaponized that as a kind of a ray, you know, that would uh, level buildings. And mm-hmm. uh, of course, Superman managed to defeat her, beating up her robots, you know, infiltrating her volcano, uh, you know, uh, lair base lair, and then you know not even her diamond drills could stop him and then terry curtis proved to be uh superman's ace in the hole by you know turning on the ultra humanite so showing he's a good guy after all he was kidnapped and then yeah ultra humanite seemingly died now this is all from action comics 13 14 17 19 to 21 uh published Mm -hmm. between 1939 and 40 so uh, early days right there yeah great bit of uh uh, stories there by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. I mean, it's it's very it's it's a lot of adventure. You know, it's a lot of fun. It's like a Doc Savage tale, but with superpowers, right, Billy? Uh-huh. So, um, I would have uh, mm-hmm. loved to revisit these issues, but like I said, I don't have them anymore. So, mm-hmm. um, the Ultra Humanite seemingly died by leaping into this volcano at the end, right? Um, and then, mm-hmm. uh, as it turns out, now she's going to tell. Uh, them how she escaped you know there was this <laughs> tunneling machine she invented waiting for or he invented waiting mm-hmm. for him and he he jumped into this tunneling machine rather than falling to his mm-hmm. death and then tunneled deep into the earth and discovered these uh <laughs> subterranean munchkins <laughs> who moloids then, now yeah moloids <laughs> now billy now what's what's their shtick what's their angle why do, do they serve her <laughs> or him yeah this is great. She's like, this is where I encountered a subterranean race, the Submen. Real uh, tricky name there. I call them. And then it says, since their own women are all dead, they worship me and I cowed them into serving me. And I'm thinking, wait a minute. Why are their women all dead? What ha- Did they kill them? Like, what happened? This is insane. Yeah. I think some disease struck, only affected the females or something might have struck them down. We don't know, but... It is insane because it must have recently happened, right? Because there's still some of them alive, you know, otherwise they all Mm -hmm. died of old age and no new progeny, right? But still, 
it, it must have recently happened and then they served her but she said that that's always been or he said the ultra humanite said that it's it's always disturbed him their subservience because there's definitely a sexual angle angle to it <laughs> you know so eventually <laughs> these creatures hope they might be rewarded <laughs> for their service mm-hmm. in some way i'm but, telling you but then you know um uh liberty bell insult tries to insult the ultra humanite but ends up complimenting him by saying mm-hmm. you fiend and then the ultra humanite says uh Oh, because uh, the Ultra Humanite threatened Liberty Bell. That that might be the reason she kept Liberty Bell alive, right, Billy? She th- yeah. He threatened Liberty Bell by saying that he's going to turn Liberty Bell over to, to them. To them. Now, that is disturbing, Billy. Uh-huh. That we know is, what that means. Whoa. Yeah, that's creepy. That is really creepy. That's really creepy. And then Liberty Bell says, you fiend. And then the Ultra Humanite takes that as a compliment, laughing and saying, of course I'm a fiend. What else do you think I'm trying to be? <laughs> and then <laughs> Trying to live up. <laughs>, laughs at it. And then we have this cutaway scene to the Perisphere where Johnny Quick is cooling his heels, Tarantula's writing up his notes, and Steel and Robot Man are working on, you know, um, their butler. So they start talking about the robot, and they call the robot him. And Johnny goes, Him? You guys talk like that thing's alive. It's just a robot. And then he goes, uh, no offense, Robbie. It's like, <laughs> yeah, the robot, man, right there, you jerk. And, you know, then he starts uh, <clears throat> talking about to Commander Steele and <clears throat> Robbie. And then uh, he walks away and he goes, still scribbling down our secrets, Tarantula. And he says, drop it quick. I'm not in a mood for being baited. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But, you know, um, Johnny Quick started it, and then Tarantula apologizes right after Johnny Quick took a swing at him. I th- I'd say Tarantula yeah. should at least, get, uh, since uh, he might have lost because he's not super powered like Quick, but uh-huh. I he shouldn't just have let Johnny get away with that. I mean, the guy took a swing at Tarantula, for heaven's sake. You know, for no reason mm-hmm. other than, you know, well, Tarantula has also been giving him some heat for, you know, Liberty Bell. Like when Superman yeah. flew off with Bell uh, in the previous issue, Tarantula said something like, Looks like I'm not the only guy who likes brainy ladies, right? Quick. (laughs) (laughs) Damn. So that's rubbing it in. But, um, you know, Johnny then, yeah, he's very irritating here. You can see he's portrayed as the guy who's bored. He can't keep himself busy. He's just in the way. Just let the rest Mm -hmm. of the All-Stars get on with their, their, uh, you know, routines. And Johnny doesn't have anything to do. So eventually he takes off after the tarantula leaves. Johnny mm-hmm. remembers he heard about the fire at the JSA headquarters on the radio. So he heads off to see what happened over there. And then, um, you know, he does make it. Oh, and then he discovers a new power, right, Billy? Well, it's it's mm-hmm. it's been shown, I think, in the early issues of All-Star Squadron when he, when he leaped between, you know, uh, Japanese Zeros, taking them apart. But what does he discover here as he's uh, plagued by traffic? <laughs> Well, it's funny, yeah. It show, that's a really neat panel, too, by the way. It mm. shows there's a tiny little panel in the bottom corner, and there's all these old cars from, like, you know, the 1940s, which is really cool. And he uh, he goes flying by a car, too, and a guy goes, Maud, did you see? Did you see what, Fred? And he goes, never mind. But Johnny then says, uh, now I'm caught in rush hour on the old Grand Central Parkway. Times like this, I wish I could fly instead of running really fast and he goes come to think of it and the next thing you know you see him flying you know 
he's not exactly flying as he says. He's like, use my momentum and convert it into a force that helps me defy gravity. <laughs> but it does yeah. look like he's flying around. <laughs> yeah, and it's also hinted at that every time uh, he says the formula, the speed formula of Professor Gill, um, that he gets more powerful. So he becomes faster, he becomes, you know, he, he opens up new avenues of, of, of using the speed force, which is going to be linked to later on. But um, interesting that this is, you know, now happening. And I think it's a it's a good thing for Johnny to have, you know, uh, it, it sort of sets him apart from the Flash, from just being a Flash, you know, a knockoff. Um, I, I like this fact that he's got this extra power that the Flash doesn't have. Now, I'm still thinking the Flash is faster. Right, Billy? Um, and the Flash is the Flash. He'll always be the Flash. Johnny won't be able to compare with him ever. But I, I'm liking the fact that they're sort of setting Johnny up to be separate from the Flash by giving him this added dimension to his powers. Yeah. And then he uh, he does make it to the uh, off-panel. They show, well, they, they say that he does make it to the, the well, collapsed uh, JSA, um, you know, building. But then, you know, he's sent to the police station where Brand, uh, Firebrand is walking down the stairs she's because she was a meteorologist she thought she could investigate the the captured um, moloids <laughs> the captured <laughs> subterranean munchkins and then they died you know so she couldn't you know uh, get any clues from them and she heads out of the police uh, actually at the hospital mercy hospital right where mm -hmm. the creepy crawlies died and then she gets distracted because she's so tired she's dead on her feet and her firepowers go a little bit awry they go wonky and then she scares a couple of civilians yeah. right billy but then johnny quick shows mm -hmm. up puts out her fire with some you know patented uh speedster cyclone cyclone <laughs> that he creates a mini cyclone <laughs> and then you know he fills her she fills him in on what happened and then you know he says he, he gives her a rundown of what happened at the <laughs> The Perisphere saying like, Perisphere, this, yeah. this is a great bit. He says, Superman took Bell and GL to see his bachelor flat. And I took a swing at Tarantula <laughs> just to prove what a tough guy I am. <laughs> That's cool. As he's punching his fist like a tough yeah. guy. <laughs> Boom. Oh, I love that panel. It's awesome. Mm. And then she says that, you know, um, Hawkman, Dr. Fate and Atom also left after the, the fight with Cyclotron. But then, you mm -hmm. know, since her penthouse is nearby, they decide to crash over there since both of them are, are tired. <laughs> They're going to catch up on some Zs. And then he shows off his power to her. Now he's perfected it a little bit more than, you know, just splashing across the, the river there, like earlier. Mm -hmm. He flies her up to her, uh, her apartment, and she's amazed. <laughs> but she, she doesn't have a lot of, you know, she, she just wants to go to sleep, right? And then there's this awkward bit where he tries to turn on the radio, right, Billy? And then... He glances at the mirror, and what does he see? Yeah, he sees her uh, taking her clothes off in her bedroom, which is, like, opposite the mirror. So he's like, uh, oh, nothing. Have a good snooze. And but he, he's like, oh, at this point, I thought to myself, I thought he was going to try to crawl in a sack with her. Yeah, it, it had that kind of uh, feeling to it, right, Billy? I, I was also like, but, mm -hmm. oh, of course, Roy wouldn't go there, but this is cringeworthy. This is like Johnny Quick, like, you know, upset about Liberty Bell and but I'm I'm sure Firebrand wouldn't stand for it. But still, you know, like he's enjoying looking at her in the mirror as she's getting undressed. That's disturbing mm -hmm. in itself. And he, he's got this <laughs> smile on his face while he's doing it. Damn, he's such yeah. a heel. But then she mm -hmm. she gets into bed 
and you know, um, Firebrand's always been the most attractive female all-star for me. I also love Liberty Bell, by the way, and Phantom Lady when she shows mm-hmm. up later on. But um, yeah. I, I'm a Firebrand guy. And wow, he, uh, you know, Jerry Ordway and Mike Macklin draw her fantastically in these two panels. And then Johnny takes a nap. She takes a nap. And then who shows up out right outside the window, Billy? Cyclotron shows up, and then uh, him and Johnny have a little uh, battle here, but it doesn't last very long. <laughs> yeah, now it could be explained why, because it seems that, well, it might have been the fact that his speed formula wore off as he was napping, mm-hmm. right? Because Cyclotron mm-hmm. takes him out really easily. One nuclear yeah. or atomic blast, and then zaps Johnny onto this, what, this radio of, of uh, Firebrands. And then a piece of the debris hits Firebrand just as she exits, exits her room. In she she already threw on her costume. Mm-hmm. Um, and then yeah, you know, uh, Cyclotron. You know, she's she's busy losing conscious consciousness, and then Cyclotron takes off her mask to make sure of her identity. And this is this yeah. is really weird and creepy, Billy. This is really weird. I mean, this is her ex. You know, Cyclotron turns out to be her lover. ex-lover, but he kidnaps her, and then, you know, while she's passing out from, uh, you know, uh, an injury he caused, what does he do? He kisses he her. Starts ki- yeah, he starts Don't. kissing her, the creep. This is so horrible. He says, like, this This mm-hmm. will help to, to you know, help uh, you remember, help you who, remember I who I am. What? What? Man, yeah, we've got okay, a lot of creepy weirdo. stuff, you know? I mean, this uh-huh. Johnny Quick was creepy in the mirror, but not nearly as creepy as this guy. No, so my God, no. He flies off with her hammer of Thor still firmly in his grasp. And Johnny Quick wakes up. He leaps out of the window to go to the rescue, but realizes his speed formula wore off. He quickly uh, shouts it out, and then he creates a bit of an updraft to slow his fall. And now the only mm-hmm. recourse is to go and report this to Commander Steel and Robot Man. <laughs> Damn. And then mm-hmm. we, we're back at Superman's Secret Citadel, right, Billy? And in more mm-hmm. origin story time, but this time around, it's Deathbolt's turn. So, mm-hmm. uh, what can you tell us about that? Deathbolt's origin. Well, yeah, yeah, it's it, we see uh, more of Ultra Miss Miss Ultra Human Height <laughs> yeah. with those creepy creatures, and she says about how she's burrowing around with that crazy mole, you know, whatever drilling device, and she's like, I came to the top of a volcano, and I saw the police. In a police airplane, which is there really such a thing, <laughs> chasing another airplane. So I immediately knew it was, you know, a crook they were chasing or a felon, she might call him. And then out of nowhere, that plane gets hit with a bolt of lightning and looks like it crashes. And, you know, the police are like, oh, whoever was in there must be dead. But it's not. The guy's not dead. And she has her moloids grab the guy. <laughs> And then uh, do some crazy electric ex- electrical experiments on him, and then that's how uh, uh, Deathbolt is created. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So uh, it's convenient that he was struck by lightning and then got lightning-based powers, right, Billy? <laughs> that only happens <laughs> yeah. in, in the comics. But uh, yeah, Jake Simmons—that's his name—wanted for mm-hmm. murder, and uh, yeah. like you say, uh, cops, you know, tried to hunt him down in a biplane because he's still a biplane. <laughs> That's <laughs> weird. Yeah. Ridiculous. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Yeah, it's crazy. But as we know, you know, some it. certain cops do pilot planes sometimes. I mean, you and I, we've got something 
a horror movie that we're going to be talking about on your magazines and monster show soon where cop <laughs> pilots a plane to get get to an island <laughs> we'll talk mm-hmm. about that oh, on yeah. another show listeners <laughs> check out magazines and monsters quick plug here <laughs> but yeah death bolt one of the more scary villains because uh, he's murderous and yeah he's uh, crazy yeah he's really crazy and you know billy there's going to be a funny issue when we eventually get to that way down the line in young all-stars where Deathbolt again shows up in the presence of the Ultra Humanite. But this time around, the Ultra Humanite's gonna do a bit of a brain transplant in a totally different creature. You won't believe. I'm not gonna spoil that for you, but when we read that issue, you'll be <laughs> amazed. But he, he shows up again. And um, mm-hmm. I've, I, I, I won't say I like him, but I like the fact that he is deadly. You know, I mean, his name yeah. implies that he's deadly already, but. You know, electricity yeah. is a scary way to, to die, actually. You know, Billy, it's like uh, electrical power that's uh, strong enough to shock Superman. That is in mm-hmm. itself uh, a, a frightening power to have in the hands of this serial killer or whatever he is. He definitely enjoys yeah. killing. Maniac, yeah. Yeah. So then, you know, as they're, you know, just, I mean, this is perfect timing. Think about it. This only happens in a comic book. They just finished the Death Bolt origin and... Boom, Cyclotron shows up. <laughs> I mean, he didn't interrupt the origin at all. Just made it, you know, perfect timing. He and he politely waited outside till they were done. <laughs> that's right. And then entered in a, in a suitably, you know, uh, well, in a trademark fashion by just like smashing through the wall with his atomic power. Can't and, use a doorway, yeah. Now look at the next panel, right, Billy? After Cyclotron shows up with Firebrand in hand. Uh, I think mm-hmm. it's page 18. Superman's face. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's like, what? Another <laughs> yeah, guy <he's> <laughs> showing up. Crapping his pants. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Now, at this point yeah, and in then time... The, the creature, creatures get a hold of Firebrand. That one has a real creepy look on his face. I'm like, oh, man, what's he thinking? Yeah. Dude, we already know these things Holy are horny crap. as hell. Mm. So yeah, scary. But, um, you know, Cyclotron, you just know he's going to fry anybody who so much as... as uh, treats uh firebrand the wrong way but still uh, we're uh we it's revealed that he's terry curtis who's actually created what well, he was created by like i mentioned jerry siegel and joe schuster in those early superman tales featuring the ultra humanite but here mm-hmm. let's say cyclotron his identity as cyclotron the character of cyclotron was created by roy thomas and uh of course this is uh the like you say the ex-lover of um mm-hmm. you know of of uh Riley, Riley. Mm-hmm. so this is completely Roy you know this is there was never mm-hmm. you know Terry Curtis had a relationship with the superior firebrand's sister no this is Roy putting this in there <laughs> so then you know he says that you know he kidnapped her because you know he you know since it's basically going to be the end of the world right Billy once ultra humanite gets the talismans of power it, he's going to yep. do this like <laughs> he's got this mentality of like picking the the person he would most like to spend the end of the world with <laughs> and then taking her <laughs> with him. I mean, that's that's the only way I can rationalize it in my mind. <laughs> you know, it's like maybe now that he's a supervillain, he's just going to do what he wants. But he says he's tip is sort of saving her life, you know, but it's not the case. It's just him being selfish, right? And yeah. then he has the hammer of Thor, and he ends up handing that over to Ultra. And, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, this is, again, him saying that he doesn't have a choice. He's got some kind of a hold over him, which he cannot break, uh, even though yeah. he's, he's, he's against 
you know, what she stands for. And then right. she combines the power of the Power Stone with the Hammer of Thor. And then mm-hmm. just gives a quick recap of Hulkman from All-Star Comics number three, losing the hammer in a volcano after fighting these volcano men. <laughs> yeah. And uh, then she mentions that it was actually created by an elder race long vanished from the earth. So it's not the hammer of Thor. I mean, it might be that in ancient times, uh, you know, a Viking warrior or, you know, found it. And then he became Thor for the ancient norseman you know something like that but it was it's an alien artifact <laughs> yeah but it's one of the talismans of power so it's definitely got some kind mm-hmm. of power other than science uh you know attached to it and then combining its power with the power stone makes the ultra humanite even more powerful but then billy who shows up to the well the cavalry uh they they don't really come to the rescue it's a it's a failed attempt but, <laughs> but who shows up Mate. Uh, that would be Robot Man, Steel, and our idiot friend, uh, Johnny Quick. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but I love the way that Johnny's making, you know, well, that, that he's uh, jumping out of this plane. I mean, you've got Steel and Robot Man with parachutes, but Johnny's like doing this <laughs> weird kind of rotating motion with his two arms that sort of like, what, I can only assume, uh, levitates him to the ground. <laughs> it looks strange. Like though. propellers or something. Yeah. yeah, he's using his arms like propellers. But it looks pretty cool. <laughs> and then just as they arrive at the Citadel, Ultra is aware of their presence. So he just blows up the ground, and just mm-hmm. giving them a, a way to, to enter. You know, but <laughs> um, she wants them... To, this time around, she says, okay, all the gloves are off. In Cyclotron's Killed. case, literally, because he needs to take his gloves off to use his power blast, right? Yeah, and mm-hmm. she says, kill them. But uh, old Johnny Quick, yeah... What does he do? He he lays the first glove on uh, Deathbolt here. Yeah, so, he cracks him really good, but then Ultra zaps him. Yeah, and then Steel. Wow, Steel shows his well for for a brief second. He shows how powerful he is by knocking out Cyclotron, the man who mm-hmm. took out Doctor Fate. Steel mm-hmm. lays him low with one punch, and then <laughs> unfortunately Deathbolt blast steel but steel is tough enough to survive the full power of death bolt or we don't know if this is the full power but robot man though smarter than than the rest of them he's not gonna now that he sees the power they're dealing with he's gonna go with for an indirect assault right but so what does right. he do this is a, a great bit <laughs> so he grabs a piece of like the rubble falling down off the side of the mountain there or volcano or wherever the heck it is and punches it at him. <laughs> yeah, like a, oh. almost like almost like punt throwing a, a it's like a size of a beach ball or something at him. <laughs> yeah, well, he says this is the he's he's doing it the way Jolton Doe DiMaggio would. <laughs> so a bit of baseball there. <clears throat> but you yeah, know, I've always loved that. You know, <clears throat> I think I mentioned this on another podcast. Might be into the weird. George Perez, he had this um, knack for drawing characters punching stuff at other folks. You know, so rather mm-hmm. than, you know, super-powered characters, you know, so you had you know, Teen Titans, Wonder Girl, and Cyborg, they frequently did that. When they wanted, a, you know, um, when their front, full frontal attacks weren't working, rather than hurl stuff at their enemies, they would just punch it at them. <laughs> <laughs> this was Robot Man doing the exact same, right? Now, you'd think that that, that rock would crumble into pieces when he punches it. Nope, it becomes a giant baseball. <laughs> <laughs> crazy but, but then cyclotron and Deathbolt they zap it 
robot man then decides to just take out the ringleader and he you know attacks ultra but she initially hurls him into this crevice like a thousand foot drop that she's created right billy Oh, yeah, he would have been dead probably or at least so hurt he couldn't get back up. But then she's like, wait, what have I done? Come back here, you, and uses the hammer and the stone combined to levitate him back up. And that's when she kind of reveals what's going to happen. Yeah, <laughs> she, uh, you know, thought on her feet there and she decided that, you know, this is the perfect body for her. This is much like, you know, in the Swamp Thing comics, Anton Arcane wants Swamp Thing's body, right? To oh, transfer yeah. his consciousness into. This is sort of Ultra's thing with robot man she wants mm -hmm. his body because this is the perfect body for her to exist in in her mind this this would up her power levels even more not only would she have the combined power of the three talismans of power right now she's got two she would also mm -hmm. be free of this hated you know <laughs> you know beautiful form that she's trapped in and she would oh be my gosh super powered form yeah, she wants to be superpowered and again get out of the womanly body, and then meathead here, uh, Deathbolt, nuts! Ain't few enough good-looking broads in this world. You gotta make it one less. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! Damn, yeah, he's really presented idiot. As, as this, you know, lackey, uh, this this mobster Oof. type. Yeah, yeah, meathead. <laughs> but you know, again, they just leave the the rest of the All Star Squadron uh, alive. And then, you know, Ultra Humanite says, let them live. There's no reason why she should say that. None none whatsoever. No. Not even five minutes earlier it was, yes, you have my permission to kill. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, they leave, they zap Liberty Bell, they leave her behind. But, of course, the Ultra Humanite wants revenge on Superman. So she kidnaps Superman. She wants Robot Man's body. And, of course, Terry Curtis Cyclotron wants um, Firebrand. But um, it makes no sense to leave the rest alive. And, no. But I like this effect on the last page where uh, Cyclotron seems to be able to use his power to restructure atoms, much like Firestorm can, right? Because mm -hmm. it closes up the the rift in Superman's Citadel atomically, yeah. right? So it's an mm -hmm. impressive power to have. And then, you know, we, we see Ultra traveling through the tunnels underneath with her kidnapped victims and, you know, saying that once the third <laughs> talisman of power is uh, gained we will rule the earth and what is that third talisman billy well it's funny she says uh well then we got our buddy meathead here talking about you know this and that again with his uh you know talk like you'd hear from a gangster from the <laughs> 1920s or 30s but then she says in the meantime however nothing will delay my true plan as soon as i have the final talisman i need to complete my power the golden helmet of dr fate Mm, yes. Whoa. So mm -hmm. you know that that's that's a serious object in the DC universe to to mm -hmm. try to possess. Mm -hmm. So um yeah, that's going to be interesting and of course, uh there's a new character that's going to be introduced. We see that in this um you know, next issue blurb at the bottom, enter Amazing Man. <laughs> Which is a really really crazy name, but you know, uh, for the golden age, this is a name that would completely make sense you know oh, so, absolutely yeah yep mm -hmm. so that's it billy that's it for our two issues great what's your final fun. thoughts fun lots of fun yeah. a lot of fun and then uh, you know we talk about the covers there see which one's our favorite okay yeah let's get to that man there are two great covers both by ordway and um i'm gonna say that my favorite 
is going to be issue 22 though because it features well i mean issue 21 is pretty good too it shows cyclotron hitting mm -hmm. yeah but um you know he's a new character on a cover even though he looks you know great i i still prefer issue 22 because it's got three villains against five heroes and all of them are drawn spectacularly but um you know mm -hmm. cover 21's very close i believe very very close so which one's yeah your i favorite? would take i would take 21 just because i don't know what it is about 22 like when you look at um and maybe it's because of the background or something yeah. I, I don't know but when you look at like superman and liberty bell like the inking and the coloring i don't know there's just something that doesn't quite look right to me there to my eye i'm not sure what it is because you look at johnny quick it's not he, he doesn't look like that but they look like I'm trying to think of what the word is i'm looking for but just they look like uh like superman looks very like i don't know like muted almost is the the inking and the color does it mute the the detail or yeah it just looks a little like i don't know the line work and the his hair and stuff like it almost has like a, a wet slick kind of look to it mm. and then the but the other cover it looks you know like you look at superman on 21 and that to me looks more like golden age superman there oh yeah no i would agree that looks more like golden age superman this the superman yeah. on the cover of 22 is more like what jerry ordway would draw in adventures of superman but yeah uh, we yeah. gotta agree to disagree there billy i i do like 21 because there is a background to it you know what i mean but for mm -hmm. some reason the way that the individual characters are drawn you know on 22 like johnny quick looks great and there is maybe something about the coloring or the inking that's off but it's still got those that jerry ordway face the musculature mm -hmm. liberty bell is, oh, is GL. beautiful gl is amazing GL looks great I love the oh, detail he in might be shirt. the best oh yeah jerry ordway might be the best artist to ever draw that golden age green lantern definitely no, he, he's got to be i think without a doubt incredible yeah, no. So um, I'm gonna go for that just based on the individual characters alone. But I can definitely see why you like 21 because there's more detail, more background, more. There's more of a setting, you know, in 21, uh, whereas there's not much on the cover of 22. But you know, I, I love the way that Deathbolt is drawn, even though he doesn't have his color scheme. <laughs> He's got more of the blue bolt color scheme <laughs> on the cover of yeah. 22. But I like the fact that it's five years against these three villains and each each one has their own weird effect around themselves you know like cyclotron's got his atomic power death bolt's got his electricity ultra's got the power of the you know, power stone and the hammer of thor which is this weird i mean earlier superman compared the power of the power stone to swimming through molasses right so this is it looks yeah. like en energy like molasses in the form of you know this this weird kind of energy that envelops mm -hmm. Val and Superman there. So interesting. But yeah, both of us, you know, obviously of different minds about the covers, but both covers are great. Mm -hmm. So, you know, yeah, Jerry Ordway on covers, man, that's hard to beat. Uh, so Billy, right. now I, I didn't, uh, I forgot to read the letter columns. Did you read any of the, the letter column letters? I, I didn't. I just noticed that in 21, they dedicated that entire letter column to the feedback and letters they got about annual number one. Mm. So, so that was pretty cool. I did. I did see that Roy made a point to do that because I guess they got a ton of fan mail about it and people loved it. And I know we liked it, too. You know, we had fun reading that one. 
Yeah, I mean, um, normally I do read the letter columns for the issue. I, this time around, I completely forgot, though. I do remember, though, that in issue 22, um, Roy plugs the zoo crew a bit, you know, uh, because oh, one of the, okay. one of the, uh, the uh, folks writing in, he says that, you know, he's going to miss Rick Holberg. And then um, Roy goes on to give Rick Hobart a bit of a signal boost by saying, you know, you can find him on issues of Green Lantern and then Captain Carrot and the Zoo Crew, which is also, you know, a Roy endeavor, <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> which I loved, yeah. by the way. So I don't know if you mm -hmm. ever read that, Billy, but Funny Animal Comics. No, I have not. I mm -hmm. usually not a fan of Funny Animal Comics, but I love Carl Barks's stuff for Disney. And then I love uh, the zoo crew, <laughs> Captain <laughs> Carrot. Anyway, so um, that's it for, I think, uh, the two issues itself. I'll quickly do an Earth Prime archive, and then, Billy, we have some uh, feedback, right? Mm-hmm. Mm. Yep. So we'll head on into Earth Prime archive. All right, so I, I hinted that we're going to be talking about Mayor LaGuardia. Now, what one thing that you know, comic book fans might know is that um, Mayor LaGuardia was the, the mayor who arranged police protection for Jack Kirby and Joe Simon, right, Billy, after they were threatened mm -hmm. by Nazi supporters, you know, for Captain for creating Captain America, basically. Because back yeah. in those days, you know, the U.S. was not yet involved in the war and there were lots of Nazi supporters uh, in the States. Uh, lots of famous people, too, you know, uh, uh, wanting Hitler to succeed and then wanting America to follow a similar track. And then, you know, some of them showed up uh, at, you know, uh, the offices of Joe and Jack. And then Jack Kirby famously went downstairs to, as he said, sort them out. <laughs> you know, Jack Kirby being very <laughs> tough, grew up on the streets, part of gangs, you know, lots of street fighting in his, in his um, young days. And... Um, right. You know, uh, but M Mayor LaGuardia arranged police protection for them. And, uh, you know, he was a very forward-thinking kind of mayor. You know, he was, uh, uh, he ran on a ref uh, reformative platform, I think you'd call it, where he sort of wanted to make a lot of changes, but, you know, a lot of changes that benefited, uh, uh, a lot of civil changes that benefited everybody in New York at the time. Um, but, mm -hmm. you know, as he relates to the war, uh, President Roosevelt appointed, you know, uh, Mayor LaGuardia as the first director of the Office of Civilian Defense. Now, uh, that's called the OCD, <laughs> which is weird, <laughs> obsessive compulsive disorder. But yeah, that, back then it was known as the OCD. <laughs> and uh, actually, you know, he, uh, Roosevelt, right, he was a fan of LaGuardia. He really admired the guy. Um, mm -hmm. he, he had been following his political career since 1933. And, um, uh, you know, basically after meeting, I think the first time that uh, Roosevelt met Winston Churchill, he described Churchill as an English Mayor LaGuardia, <laughs> you know, because he <laughs> saw a lot of similarities, not just in the look, you know, uh, mm -hmm. but also between the personalities and the way they ran their offices. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, now the Office of Civilian Defense, believe that was important because uh, you had to prepare things like blackouts. You know, uh, you had to prepare the, the, the construction of sirens. Uh, air raid wardens had to be employed. Uh, shelters had to be built against German air raids. And, uh, mm -hmm. you know, Mayor LaGuardia was not just uh, in charge of that for New York. He was in charge of that, you know, 
for countrywide. So while still being mayor, so you know he had a lot on his right. plate during World War Two. Yeah, and mm -hmm. um, you know uh, of course there were thousands of volunteers that that he drafted um, that were not able to assist directly in the war. You know they were for air force or things like that, or they were old, but he made sure. them feel useful, and they were in fact incredibly useful because they mm -hmm. um, you know worked. Uh, on the home front preparing you know in in case there would be an invasion or a raid or an attack which was always a fear you know it was always a possibility oh yeah um, and then of course uh mayor laguardia in in his capacity as the ocd director he also created the civil air patrol uh, and he signed this on december 1941 so he he not only um you know performed duties above and beyond what he was supposed to. He also used his forward thinking and creative uh, ways to create new, you know, um, offices and administrations that he would uh, use to benefit the war effort at home. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, the, this guy definitely handled two incredibly difficult jobs simultaneously, being the mayor of New York and the civil uh, office of uh, civil defense director. Um, mm -hmm. And then, of course, uh, uh, after the attack of Pearl Harbor, because this all happened, you know, uh, before America entered the war, I believe that Roosevelt already mm -hmm. appointed him for that. And then after the attack on Pearl Harbor, he became the full time director of the OCD uh, for four years running, you know. So mm -hmm. um, but, you know, uh, after the 1945, his popularity uh, slip because you know the war did not prove popular especially after you know obviously uh, America won the war with the atomic attacks at least against right. Japan and then you know he was still seen as that part of the the, the, the cog in the war machine so mm -hmm. uh, when it was done obviously people wanted to forget about the war they wanted to be done with the war and uh, that's when his popularity started to fall but not because of anything directly that he did that was wrong. Right. It's just people wanted to, you know, you know. The same thing happened with Winston Churchill, you know, in, in, in uh, yeah. Britain. You know, after the war, he, he was not prime minister any longer. I mean, he became prime minister again in the early fifties, but that was, you know, you know, uh, much later, seven years after the war. But yeah, mm -hmm. unfortunately. But uh, Mayor LaGuardia, of course, one of the greatest uh, mayors of New York and one of uh, the seminal figures of. Uh, the Americans in World, one of the Seminole Americans, at least in World War Two. So that's it for the mm -hmm. Earth Prime yeah. Archive, Billy. Now let's get on to our feedback. We had a couple of great, <laughs> great messages from our uh, growing uh, squad of uh, what would you call them? Uh, ass fans? No, all uh, <laughs> wolf, <laughs> cast all stars, fans. all, all stars. stars. <laughs> let's call them all stars. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, first up is uh, Martin Gray. You know, he's uh, usually one of the first, if not the first person to always chime in when we have uh, episodes, which is awesome. We love him. Great guy. Uh, he said, thanks for another top episode. These were such great issues, and I learned something. What KP stood for. I shall use that knowledge wisely. <laughs> Kitchen patrol. <laughs> Damn. Yeah. And then he said, the book just improves by the issue with Jerry Ordway in charge of pencils and inks. A real treat. He gets better by the issue. Though the art here is pretty sensational already. Seeing him redraw old issues to fit Roy's fantastic story was amazing. Plus, I do like his use of shading. 
though I can't tell if he's using Letratone, Zipatone, or that special paper that has a similar finish as used by Joe Staten on his Post-Crisis Huntress book. And that's a good uh, question there. So if anybody uh, listening in has the answer to that, you can uh, let us know because I'm not sure either. That's art department is definitely not me. That's uh, I'm like a stick figure kind of guy. So, <laughs> um, And then he said... So as a kid, Brainwave found out he had powers by bringing King Arthur and his knights from storybooks to life. Roy missed a trick there in regard to the secret origin of the Shining Knight. Oh, the glorious angst we could have had with Sir Justin knowing he was a product of a very sick mind. That's oh, an man. interesting point that he makes there, yeah. great. You know what? This, Martin's got this <laughs> Alan Moore-esque, you know, uh, mm-hmm. swing to his thoughts. <laughs> you know, like... Mm-hmm. Reimagining an origin for a character like that would be very disturbing, but it would have been fantastic, you know. Wow. When when you sent me this email and, and I read that bit of what Martin said, I thought, damn, that would have been a, a great... If Alan Moore could have done that with The Shining Knight instead of Miracle Man. Oh, yeah. yeah good one, Martin. Pretty neat, huh? And then mm-hmm. he goes on to say, it was always seemed a bit of a coincidence that Brainwave Jr. looked exactly like the handsome, imagined version of Dear Old Dad. Was Brainwave Sr. extrapolating an idealized version of himself based on his genetics? Or was Junior actually the spit of his dad so he could use the same template to get the girls? <laughs> <laughs> That's a very Never good question, there. yeah. I think, you know, it might also be some kind of, um, you know, uh, what you call it, psionic, you know, ability mm-hmm. of Brainwave to impart, you know, to, to mess with reality there. I, I don't know, yeah. but it, it is weird that he, his son looks like he's imagined you know ideal version (laughs) it's just strange (laughs) yeah then he says probably not the latter his mother was a ginger and we see that boy brainwave was blonde i think (laughs) see i think senior likely nick henry jr's appearance probably roy explained this somewhere and then he says about you know your favorite issue 20 there he said that cover with alan in his destroy of worlds moment is so haunting and of course, Brainwave couldn't beat Alan Scott. It was brain power first, pure willpower. So, uh, in light of the his horrific vision here, I think it would be great if a modern retcon as closet gay Alan Scott got a Japanese American boyfriend. Show he has no residual racism. So that'd be interesting. You know, I'm not sure who wrote that story um, well, about I mean, Alan Scott. Yeah, well, Alan Scott in the uh, what was it, the New Fifty Two. Um, he was uh, a gay character, you know, and I really liked uh, yeah. that that um, version of him. Even though I didn't like his costume, you know, his costume was just all green armor. I I really resented yeah. that they didn't go with the classic costume. I mean, how can you? It's like su- a Superman costume. How can you improve on perfection? But um, you can't. Yeah, that's the only thing I didn't <laughs> like about that Earth Two series. But the character of Alan Scott. Being this sort of, he had like a Batman moment, you know, that transformed him into mm. a superhero in that in that series, you know, with his um, lover, his partner dying, and then he fi- mm. finds the Green Lantern. Um, so you know, gotcha. I, you know, I definitely think if they wrote that, I it's a story I would love to read. You know, um, so yeah, poor Alan. I mean, we need to see more of his, uh, you know, personal life, but unfortunately, in a team book like All Star Squadron, you can't always deal with that right so many characters to focus mm-hmm. on but i would have loved to see that you know i would i would permanently love to see an alan scott you know like or even in the 80s i would have loved to see like just a series of, uh, on him alone but they couldn't do that oh you know, yeah what with crisis and all mm-hmm. but you know i would still love to see that now you know the early days of the golden age green lantern or something like that 
but um uh, yeah yep. i don't think we'll ever get that but martin you're right i would that that sounds like something i would love to read um if they did put that angle back onto it yeah so thank you martin you know always love hearing from you buddy so yeah, and then we got calls. an email from yeah a completely uh new uh feedbacker and uh he says this is more i think of earth uh, prime archive uh, based right uh, yeah earth prime archive yeah so you ought to be pumped when i sent you this one yeah. it's from uh, a guy named jack rocha and it says hey guys i'm enjoying the podcast and reading along using the dc app i would agree with your point about the war starting earlier than the german attack on poland but not July 7th, 1937, but in fact, almost a year earlier on July 17th, 1936, with the start of the Spanish Civil War. And it says Franco, as a fascist, I think he's trying mm, to say their faction, mm. was supported by fascist Germany and Italy. The Spanish Civil War was the test run for the German war machine. An example of this is in the famous Picasso painting, oh boy, Guernica? Guernica, Guernica from Picasso, yeah, Guernica, 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 (laughs) which depicts the destruction of the Spanish town by Guernica by Nazi Germany aerial bombing. This Mm, war mm, attracted mm. many freedom fighters from America and other European countries who recognized the importance of the Republican cause. While the popular start of the war is with Poland, many historians credit the Spanish Civil War as a true start of World War II. So thanks for that, man. Yeah, I, that was a really cool email to get there. I was uh, not expecting that one. That was out of the blue. I was like, hey, all right, somebody uh, new emailing in, and then about you know the Earth Prime Archive is pretty cool. Yeah, no, and he's not wrong. You know, you many people do see the Spanish. I mean, there's some guy, a historian, I think it was, um, I think Claude Bowers was his name. He referred to you know the Spanish Civil War as the dress rehearsal. For World War Two, mm. so you know it's definitely, oh, yeah. definitely, uh, it could be one of the the, the not causes of World War Two, but definitely one of the the starting points. So I completely agree with that. That's something I should have mentioned maybe early on when we started to talk about you know the origins of World War Two. But I focused more on the you know uh, Japan invasion of China. Uh, mm-hmm. But um, you know definitely we should have mentioned that. So I'm so glad someone wrote about that because i never really think of the spanish civil war as related to world war ii i always think of it as a war just before you know the start of world war ii because it ended in 1939 it was from 1936 to 1939 you know what i mean billy so Mm -hmm. but definitely definitely had some uh ties to to world war ii because after all the germans were, were involved there so um yeah no great email and uh completely accurate i think and what was the name of that painting again guernica Guernica. Uh, I need to brush up on my uh, uh, painters there in their works, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, that's typical Picasso. You know, it depends, you know, uh, whether you like Picasso or not. It's a weird painting, but it definitely has some emotional impact uh, because if you know what it's based on, you know, the aerial bombing. Uh, Oh, yeah. yeah, Have a look look at that painting. But yeah, yeah, great. Uh, Definitely part of history. Uh, Yeah, Guernica. Google search that one there and then we had a ton of people too I threw it out there that we were going to be you know talking on uh, on those two issues and you know we had a lot of our our regulars uh chiming in on Twitter DC multiverse historian Zane Reed Johnson Steve Shend uh JSA Dignity which is a newer account there um uh Jason M and Visionary <laughs> Brian Guy <laughs> <laughs> cool. Edward 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 Harvey Mark Resnick 
uh, oh, I'm sorry, Reznicek, I think it is, or Reznicek. I'm sorry if I'm pronouncing that wrong. And then Don B, and uh, who else here? I'm trying to look. Ron Salas, uh, DJ Convoy, uh, TM Des, uh, Brad Lonard, uh, Gustavo, Michael Prele or Prelay. Uh, <laughs> here's a good uh, Twitter name. Jack voted out a fascist. <laughs> nice. Uh, Stanford, Stanford Brown, Andrew, and Dwight Williams. So yeah, that got a ton there. There was a lot of people that really you could tell, you know, feel like you do, Herman, about that one, and it's like one of their favorites. Mm. You know, if not their favorite uh, All Star Squadron story, they're the Brainwave uh, 19 and 20. So yeah, a lot of, a lot of people loving that one. Yeah, and it's also you know like uh, the return of the JSA, the full JSA to the pages of you know mm-hmm. um, of uh, the all-star squadron so there's a couple of reasons that m- many people like it but i think most of the the time it's because of that you know uh, gl story and because uh, the impact of war and it is a war story you know billy which is um like we say not not often that roy has the the all-star squadron actually engage in fighting you know the war but this is a different kind of war story it's all imaginative but it shows you what's gonna happen what could happen and yeah, uh, yeah it, it resonates on many levels. But you know, I want to thank all the, you know, what do you, you call them? The um, uh, the all-stars. <laughs> I'm not going to mm-hmm. call them as fans again. But the, for <laughs> sending us all this terrific feedback and engaging with us in this way. Uh, so it really yeah, means great. a lot to, thank you. to us. Yeah, definitely. Huge thank you. So I believe with that, this is a long episode. This was uh, more than two hours, but I'm going to keep it as is. I'm not going to trim any any nasty bits. I'm just going to throw it all in the way it is. <laughs> just just add some little effects to it, um, you know, quotes mm-hmm. at the end and whatnot. But uh, we had mm-hmm. a blast talking about All-Star Squadron again. But, uh, mm-hmm. you know, how, where can they reach us? If there's anybody who who's listening to the show for the first time and want to to send us some female uh, fee <laughs> I'm sounding okay. like a munchkin <laughs> like one of I'll those say, okay moloid <laughs> uh, ultra send us a female <laughs> what the... send us some email what's wrong with me <laughs> no, I have enough females be... in my life <laughs> uh, yeah really a world on fire podcast at gmail.com is where you can uh, send the emails to not the females the emails <laughs> <laughs> Or reach out on Twitter at All Squadron is the the show. Damn, you know I've been messing up a couple mm-hmm. of words here. I must be tired, but you know this is morning for me. It's <laughs> evening for you. You should be the one messing up words. Well, I mean you messed up Guernica, but I messed up consciousness and mm. emails. <laughs> I'm gonna leave this in as well. I'm not gonna edit it out. <laughs> Do it. <laughs> anyway, so listeners, yeah, thanks. Stay safe. You know, uh, keep away from wars and from aerial bombardments and uh, paint, you know, aerial bombardments like Picasso did, but don't, you know, actually, mm-hmm. you know, drop those bombs. And we'll be back uh, after I find a suitable quote, which is hard, <laughs> but I'm gonna, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm gonna try my best. But uh, we'll see you again in two weeks' time, right, Billy? Yep. Yeah. I'll see you then. Take care, everybody. Bye for me. New York's Mayor LaGuardia becomes America's civil defense chief. Receiving his commission from President Roosevelt, he loses no time in coming to grips with the problems of ARP and national service. 
At his first conference, Mayor LaGuardia calls for volunteers just as we were called upon. No matter what happens, and let us hope that nothing happens, but if it does, we must be prepared to protect every man, woman, and child in the entire country. I appeal to every patriotic organization to report for duty, to let the Office of Civilian Defense know exactly what you want to do, and the country will be very happy to use your services.